Bienvenue, Konnichiwa. Ni hao jambo marhaba. It's time for the Arms Inquisition yet again. Episode 242 on Sunday, the 7th of August, 2022. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Matt. And Amish Ben is on vacay. He is on vacay. In the Far East. He is in the Far East. Of, of England. Of Anglia. Uh, but never fear, because we have uh, Matt in from the Apocalypse YouTube channel. How are you doing, Matt? Good, guys. How are you, how are you guys doing? Good. Excellent. You're well rested as well, aren't you, Matt? You've just got back from vacay? I've got back from vacay. Short delay on the way back from the vacay. But not um, not a day wrecker? Not a day wrecker, no. I wouldn't say so. It's good to uh, be back feeling cold again. It's been nice today. It has, hasn't it? About? Anyway, um, I digress. Do you mm. know where I'd like to go on vacation? Where? Mm. Atlantis? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I feel, Matt, you might have a good idea where maybe I should start my quest. Yeah, um, well, I found something in the Azores that um, looks like it could be Atlantis, so that might be a great place to start. Yeah, and uh, if uh, you haven't seen us talk with Matt before, go back to the previous episode. I can't remember which number it was. It's a while back, isn't it? But, yeah, um, I, around about a year, has it been? Something like that, maybe more. I think it was um, May 21. Oh, May 21, right. Um, yeah, because I think you were maybe three or four videos into your series about that time. Five, I think, something like that. And uh, you've been doing some more uh, research in the meantime. So, yeah, it'd be good to catch up and uh, see what the sort of the latest uh, developments are. Yeah, that sounds good. Right, so how shall we proceed? Do you want to give us a bit of a, a bit of background first, or jump straight into the slides, or um, just a, a very quick background? I guess um, anyone who's watching this, it'll be good to recap on the last episode, so go oh. back and look, look that one up. Um, but basically, I've used um, under undersea scans to try and locate the lost city of Atlantis in the Azores. And there's something in the middle of the Azores Plateau that looks very much like the um, the canals of Atlantis. There, there's two circular canals. There are, they're concentric with each other. They're 27 stadia in diameter in total, which is the, the width um, that Plato gives for the lost city of Atlantis. So um, I've been trying to do research on top of what I spoke about previously on the last episode to see if there's there's any other reasons for why this feature might be there. If you know it, it might not be Atlantis, but if it is, there's a lot going on that that ties into even modern locations that are above sea today. Right, I follow you. And this undersea survey—that's what they call bathymetry, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's that's um, basically 
um, a compilation of, of bathymetric scans that have been put together by a European agency. And these bathymetric scans are, um, you just have an array of sonar. It's towed behind a, um, a scanning vessel and it, it just sends out um, a, a sonar ping and it produces an image from what's reflected back from the seafloor. Right, generates like a 3D picture of what the ocean floor looks like. It's a bit like if you get an ultrasound of a baby, but it's it's this sort of sea floor instead of something much smaller. <laughs> cool. So that's what uh, a lot of your work has been sort of relying on. And you've also been tying together sort of, uh, there's a lot of mathematics in your videos. That's right, yeah. Um, I've been looking into the research of some authors um, Howard Crowhurst, um, <clears throat> Richard Heath, and, and Robin Heath. And their work, I think, is it sort of really stems from the work of John Michelle and, and others that have come before. And um, there's some really interesting information from the research of Howard Crowhurst and, and Richard Heath in particular, and it, it ties into um, my own research. So it, it's to do with geodesy, really, which is... Um, measuring the size and shape of the planet because that that would be critical if you were trying to map the planet. So this is is this solving the problem of long longitude as well? Um, the pro- it would it would solve the problem of longitude. It wouldn't be one hundred percent accurate, but you you'd have an idea of where you were. Um, you know, yeah. within a few de- within a few degrees. You know, because this is one of the criticisms that the the naysayers or the the mainstream posit, don't they? That um, ocean-going, seafaring at that sort of level wasn't possible until the invention of the, what's it, chronometer thing? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, that, that's right. So a, a chronometer is basically just um, an, another word for a, a watch. But there are some chronometers that have been, well, the early chronometers, because they were large, they were they had to be made for to be seaworthy because um, it, when they're on the waves, they have to be almost sort of gimbaled so they don't get... Um, disrupted too much by the movement of the waves so it's, yeah, that's an ocean going chronometer and um obviously people say you don't know where your longitude was unless you had a, a chronometer because you could if you knew the time of the sunset from the port where you left and you me- and you measured the time of the sunset where you currently were in the sea that time difference could be used to calculate your longitude right. and what i think people incorrectly say is that they tell you that um, before the chronometer, you didn't know your longitude, but there's there are books. Um, there's a book called Cosmographia. It's about 500, maybe 600 years old. And it tells you how people found out their longitude by looking at the moon and comparing its angle to a star. And then they refer to lookup tables and star charts that have been compiled at observatories, which they use to calculate their longitude. It's not as accurate as a chronometer, but it's, it's good enough for, for uh, you know, seafaring. Right. I think the other thing that, you know, that kind of we've been reading a little bit about this, it comes to my mind is if it was in, in when the sea uh, levels were lower, was that in sort of like the last ice age and things like that, um, that there would be sort of more land masses across sort of the oceans and things like that, that you could potentially bump into as well and come across perhaps. Yeah, that's definitely true as well. That that would make navigation much easier. Um, If you, if you look at something called floodmap.net, you can use that piece of software to roll back the sea level, or okay. you can just look at some other bathymetric software, and you will see there's, there's not that many large islands, but there are a number of islands that mm. are now submerged, which would have made 
hopping across the Atlantic a lot easier than it is today. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's something that perhaps, I don't know, do people sort of think about a lot, especially when you're sort of talking about perhaps a migration, you know, from Australasia or, you know, Polynesia, that kind of place across sort of like the Pacific, an island hopping that way to maybe sort of South America. Um, that perhaps would be more possible then. I think a lot depends on things like currents and the the technology of the ship as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Because um, I remember when I read that Gavin Menzies book um, about the Chinese treasure fleet, he was talking about how they would use the sort of natural currents and mm. because they, you know, they didn't have, well, as far as we know, they didn't have steam power or, you know, yeah. any other kind of uh, way of generating motion other than using the sails, the yeah. wind. So, yeah, that comes into it again, I, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, an example. I can't remember the name of the of the author, but there's somebody that's suggesting that the Phoenicians might have found it easier to go to America first to, before going back to Europe to do with the um, sort of the ocean currents. So that it's, it's possible that the Phoenicians were in the Americas, but that's that's not confirmed. Mm. Yeah. Well, what should we do? Should we um, should we move on to some slides? Let's do it. Yeah, slide one. <laughs> I feel like. Uh, do you feel like Chris Whitty? I'm too good looking to be Chris Whitty. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You're a beautiful man. I didn't want to say. But... <laughs> Thank you. So I'm, what I'm we modest as well. <laughs> so oh oh now this is very interesting. We've got Avebury up there at the top. Yes. So the st- with the stone circles, we've got Delphi, famous for its oracle. Yeah. And Thebes, one of the major cult centres for uh, in Egypt. Mm. So what's going on? Why have we highlighted these things? Okay, so these three locations are pointed out by Richard Heath in one of his books, and he points out that these locations are on key latitudes. So um, it looks like people in the ancient past, to try and characterize the size of the planet, they divided the northern hemisphere into seven equally spaced latitudes. I think the reasoning behind this is because if you just measure the distance between any two of these latitudes, you can just multiply that by the number of segments to work out the entire size of the planet. Handy. Yes. Um, so it, it's really important locations as well. So Avebury is the largest stone circle on the planet, not just the UK or, or Europe. So that's a very significant feature. Um and both Delphi and Thebes are marked out by these two um, stones called omphalos stones. They're supposed to represent the navel of the earth. Um, right. So, you know, there's quite a lot of coincidences going on here. Well, last week when we were talking to Ralph, he said that the omphalos stone uh, moved from Thebes to Delphi, to the Oracle of Delphi. So that's a nice tie into last week. Can I just clear something up? Are we saying that the earth is divided into seven latitude segments equally. So it, it's, it's sort of um, humans projecting those latitudes onto the, onto the Earth. So it's, 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 it's not a natural thing. It's just it ties no. into... But it if ties you, into pi. If you carry those lines downwards past thieves, you get another... Mm. One, two, three, four... You get another sort of four lines equally spaced. See, yeah, so the Thebes is the two-sevenths line of latitude, and then 
um, if you went down one more, there isn't. I've not drawn a line on there. No. There's one above one one above the equator. Then then there's the equator. Then you can reflect them. Um, yeah. I should note at this point, probably probably before um, we go any further, um, Richard Heath mentions that these three latitudes are more important than the um, you know the other latitudes because the Earth is an oblate sphere. So what that means is the Earth isn't perfectly spherical. It's slightly squashed. So the distance between the North and South Pole is slightly less than it is at the equator. So um, at these specific latitudes, that oblate nature of the sphere is, is almost, um, well, it's irrelevant at those latitudes. It's not very significant. So if you start to use latitudes above those, if, so if you use the latitudes above Avebury, the, the oblate nature of the Earth makes it a little bit less accurate to characterize the size of, of the planet. So right. that's why those three latitudes are important. Got you. Yeah, it's uh, it sort of distorts the the picture, unless you knew when you were doing your calculations that the Earth was. I think it's twenty six miles wider, isn't it, at the equator? Something it's like something that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. But it, it's enough to sort of throw off Skin. your your measurements. So you could you could miss your your destination port, and it could add add a few hours onto your journey and, and, and potentially if you missed the, the critical point of an ocean current it could really hamper your uh, your journey cool so so these are in three important latitudes is there anything else to say on on this one uh so thebes is the uh, well throughout the various dynasties of, of ancient egypt there were different uh, um, different capitals and thebes served as the capital of ancient Egypt for, for multiple different dynasties. So obviously that's another important reason for, for why that's a location. Mm. And uh, Delphi we talked about, that's a famous oracle where uh, people would yep. go and find out whether it was a good good idea to have a war or a battle. Mm. Is it a good time? What do you think? That's the oracle. Mm-hmm. And then Avebury is kind of enigmatic, isn't it? Because it's, it's in prehistory. That's right. Yeah, there's there's some important dates as well. Um, so Avebury, um, the the first part of Avebury was laid in sort of three thousand BC, right in the middle of the first Egyptian dynasty. Uh, but the whole the whole complex wasn't they they didn't do anything else to it until about two thousand six hundred BC. So the the rest of the complex was was built four hundred years later at exactly the same time that the pyramids started to be built. In both Egypt and also in a in a region of South America, called, uh, South America called Carol. So they started building pyramids in Egypt and South America exactly the same time, while also Avebury was being built at the same time. Busy guys. <laughs> Must have had Nick Knowles running the job. <laughs> cool. Right. Do you want me to uh, move on or? I was going to say, yeah, if we move on to the next slide, because I can start to talk about these things in a bit more detail, each one of these locations. Excellent. Okay, next one. Oh. Okay, so um, at these same latitudes, on the same latitude of Delphi, is we, we have where I've located what I think could be Atlantis. So, um, again, that's, that's a key latitude. I, I think Atlantis, if I'm correct about it, it would have been important for the purposes purposes of geodesy, and perhaps seven or eight thousand years later, after after the ice age ended, because the place was submerged, then maybe they needed a new um, site at that same latitude, and Delphi would have fit the bill for that. Right. Yeah. Makes and sense. Obviously, 
everybody's heard of Bimini, um, and obviously there's a lot of contention as to whether or not there's obviously there's there's the Bimini Road or Bimini Wall is is a very shallow feature made from limestone near the surface of the water. It's, it's just under the surface of the water of Bimini, off the west coast of Bimini. And um, if that is a man-made construction, it just happens to be at the, the perfect latitude for doing more observation. And, and what I say about Bimini, it's the only place in the Atlantic um, that's at, at that exact latitude. So um, if, if you're trying to build observatories to create lookup tables for sailors, to work out their longitude, um, you'll need somewhere on the west of the Atlantic, you'll need somewhere on the east of the Atlantic, and it'd probably make a lot of sense to have somewhere in the middle as well, especially if it was somewhere where you could you could park your boat. And if it, if, if Atlantis was real and it, and it was the capital of a, of a large empire, they're going to be heading east and west, so you, you will need observatories there, and specifically on that latitude. Right. He said, just going back, he said Bimini is the only place... On that latitude, do you mean on the west coast of North America? So if you look at the entire um, Atlantic Ocean, yeah. there, are, there are no islands at that latitude other than Bimini and, right. a, and an island called Great Harbour Cay, which, funny enough, they, they used to both be part of a larger island. Um, I'll go into that in more detail in a, in a few slides' time. It probably makes more sense to talk about that in a bit. Uh, I think I think I get it now. So if if you set off from the the west coast of Africa, you're not hitting anything. If you stay on that latitude till you get to Bimini, correct? Yeah, right. Got you. Whereas there are other islands dotted around, sort of all over the shop in the Atlantic. That makes That's sense. Right. Got you. Okay. Do you want to move on? Yeah. Next slide, please. You're enjoying that, aren't you? <laughs> I'm in charge. I've got power. <laughs> the lady got you, Ed. <laughs> All right, Avery. Okay, so um, this is a close-up on Avebury, and, and I've, I've put this in to really highlight, highlight the accuracy of the positioning of Avebury. Wow. So that that four-seventh line of latitude goes straight through the centre of Avebury. It's, it's not close to it. It's not at a tangent. It goes straight through Avebury. That is um, mad. So... What kind of you know precision technology you would need to do this? You know, I, I don't think you would need satellites or electronics or anything. I, I'm, I'm adamant you could use something similar to a to a, a modern sextant, but probably bigger to get that level of accuracy and um, a high level of sort of mathematics and geometry as well. Like rather than technological advancement, intellectual advancement. Yes, I, I don't think there's any requirement for, for high technology in, in terms of what we would recognise today as high technology. What it would require is a um, advanced knowledge of both geometry and mathematics. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, it, you just can't argue with that. It goes right through the middle of it. I mean, people will say coincidence, but <laughs> that's just, I mean, it's not like Avebury is just some small insignificant mm. monument you know like a, a small 10 foot wide small stone circle it's one of the most impressive in the country isn't it without a doubt it's the the largest in the whole world so it's, oh it's even better yeah. <laughs> <laughs> largest in the world right that's significant to me that's no i can't see that being a coincidence but Okay, it's, it's probably good to move on to the next slide. Um, okay. It might explain what's going on. 
Oh, triangles. Um, yes. So um, just I'll briefly explain what the triangles are. I've, I've just put on a number of random triangles. There are no real significance. I've just, I've just chosen random points. But um, there are a number of authors that think in the Neolithic that when people were taking measurements, they, they didn't know trigonometry as we know it today. They didn't know cosine. They didn't know tangents, um, et cetera. What they probably did is they, they probably just used right-angled triangles and used um, integer-based measurements to figure out the size of things. Um, I think Avebury um, may have been used twice in the past. So I'm, I'm absolutely on board with the academic dates for modern Avebury, starting in 3000 BC and, and the constructions carried on until it finished in about 2600 BC. Um, but I, I think it may have been used as well um, in, in the far more distant past, probably at the, the peak of the last glacial maximum. I'll, I'll go into that into a bit in the next slide. But these, I think the idea being is once you've discovered your latitude at the four sevenths um, line of latitude, you could uh, you could do a survey all the way down to the three sevenths line of latitude. So you, you take a, a you, you take a load of um, surveys from three points at triangles that you could see within the distance of the horizon. You'd measure the true south length of the first triangle and you'd repeat this until you went all the way down to the next line of latitude. You'd add all of these surveys together and you get a distance of 1,428.85 kilometers or whatever unit of measurement they might have been using in the ancient past. Right, so like megalithic yards or... Uh... What did they use in Egypt? Cubits or something like that. How would they know? Cubits, yeah. Would it, how Stadia. Would, Stadia, <laughs> yeah, even better. How would they know that they were travelling true south? Would that be through astronomical observations or solar observations? Or? Yeah, that's correct. So the beauty of travelling true south is you don't have to wait for an equinox or a solstice. You can do it every day at noon. So... You wait until noon, you pick a point on the horizon, and you just travel to that point on the horizon, uh, and you're following a true south line. Right, so as long as your Rolex is correct and you know when noon is. So you, you can tell you can tell when high noon is by the length of, of the shadows. So um, You make it sound so easy. <laughs> it's really dark. No, I know, yeah. I, I, I think um, people in the Neolithic would have, would, would have been able to use sundials and... Um, and measure just shadows from sticks in the same way that we look at our digital watches or smartphones these days. They're, they're just used to that level of technology, so right. it'll probably be second nature to most people. Yeah, and then they would use some sort of device to measure. Now, hang on a minute, some that line's going through the sea. That's right. Yeah. Uh, how so do you? Very, you need a, a long you need a long rope to measure across the sea. That's right, and that's where the next slide comes in. Oh, gosh. I haven't looked at these, by the way. <laughs> oh, wait, it's the, it's the one after this. Um, right. If we skip to the next one, I'll yeah. go back to this one in a minute. Okay, so <laughs> this... Is in the Ice Age. I've added on the, um, yeah. the Ice Age coastline at the peak of the last glacial maximum. So I, I don't think it's an accident that Avebury sits at four-sevenths of the way from the equator to the North Pole. I also don't think it's a, 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 an accident that it sits exactly at its precise longitude because that's the westernmost longitude or the closest point to the Atlantic where you could take a survey entirely on foot all the way down to the next line of latitude. Any further west and you'd have to enter the Atlantic Ocean. So 
this is why I think Avebury in particular was was used to measure the size of the planet, and I would argue it's probably the most important and maybe first location that was used, um, you know, to for this very purpose. Yeah, that's a hell of a coincidence, isn't it? Avebury's the furthest. If you go any further west to build your Avebury complex, you're going to end up in the sea once you travel south. How, that's right. How reliable is this um, coastline, uh, Ice Age, glacial maximum coastline? How, how have they worked that out? Um, basically, um, that's worked out from the lowest, the sea level would have been back in the last glacial maximum. So it's between about 100 and 140 and 120 metres lower than it was today. So I would say that is probably out by no more than a mile, I would I would guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a close estimate. Got you. And what year is, is, is this, or what sort of age range is the sort of the glacial maximum? So it, it would have been a, a couple of thousand years either side of, mm. of 20,000 years ago. Right, well, okay. Yeah, it's not. It's like nearly ten thousand years before the Younger Dryas. Yeah, but was it pretty? St- was it pretty stable between then and the Younger Dryas, though? I believe it was pretty stable. Um, yeah, that whole that whole part of the world would have been pretty dangerous um, in terms of megafauna. There were lots of animals that would have certainly wanted to kill you. Yeah. Um, but it's also Avebury is far enough south that you wouldn't have um, come across the sort of glaciation either. It would have been right. uh, free of ice at Avebury. <laughs> That's um, a good point because I think sort of Scotland and um, a lot of Scandinavia would have been under the ice sheet, wouldn't it? Well, possibly even up where you guys are right now as well. Yeah. We'd be up at the wall, wouldn't we? The ice wall. Yes, we would, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you want me to flick back to the uh, one we skipped over? Yeah, if we flick back to the previous one. Okay, so this is really me just sort of um, looking into the work of Howard Crowhurst right here. So Howard Crowhurst points out that Silbury Hill, which is, I think it's the largest uh, man-made mound in Europe, it happens to be exactly one thousandth of the distance between the four-sevenths line of latitude and the three-sevenths line of latitude. So it's almost as if somebody in the ancient past has, has built a monument for anybody in the future to use to, to measure the size of the planet. So um, <laughs> if you if you took a, that original survey between the four-seventh line of latitude and the three-seventh line of latitude, you would multiply that by 28 to work out the entire circumference of the planet. So what, what you get with Silbury Hill and Avebury is you get a much simpler solution where if you did a, a survey between the centre of Avebury and walked south to um, Silbury Hill, you would times that by 28,000 and you, you have the exact size of the planet. So if our civilization gets wiped out, we've got a tool that we can use to remeasure the size of the planet. And this was built for us um, four and a half thousand years ago. Wow. What's the... Um... As far as Silbury Hill goes, what's the latest understanding of when that was built or made, constructed? I can't remember the exact dates, but I believe it was a little bit after Avebury um, itself. Shortly after, as far so, as we know. Um, yeah, what, what's what's um, interesting to me is obviously it would be very, very difficult 
um, after the Ice Age to do a survey between the four-sevenths and three-sevenths line of latitude. So I'm wondering if the builders of Avebury in modern times had some kind of information that was passed on to them or, or a cache of information they uncovered somewhere that, that allowed them to, to build these monuments. Ah, right, I see. So, right, I've got you. So we're, we're assuming that this knowledge comes from around the glacial maximum because that is when um, it would have been possible to do it over land, travelling south. But the, That's right. But the, the archaeology says that these monuments are modern. <laughs> modern. <laughs> modern. The Neolithic. <laughs> but after, after the Younger Dryas. So therefore, there is a there's a bridge that needs a gap that needs bridging there. I think so. I I, I do believe the dates that are are declared for Avebury and and other sites around the world. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were built on top of yeah. um, something that was either there before or something that's no longer there. Yeah, we had this with that was Kaylee was into that, wasn't she? History of Kaylee. Yeah, that you know when you date these things, you're dating the the last sort of erection <laughs> you dating the last erection not necessarily you know those stones could have been picked up and moved and used on the same site in a slightly different configuration and we would never know we can only go off the what we have in front of us which is the the latest date if you like yeah it could go back for millennia before that so yeah that makes sense and i guess that's why you think when you said earlier that you think this site's been used for a lot longer than the um, archaeology would allow at the moment. Yeah, I, I, the reason I, I believe the, the dates is I, I believe it ties in with the quarries. So the, the, the stones where they got the sarsen stones were in quarries a little bit southeast of Avebury, sort of in between Avebury and Stonehenge. And I believe the sort of the dates of the sort of sediment at the, at the quarries that's refilled in sort of ties in with these locations so I, I even believe the stones were, were dug out when when it's said but um it's likely that people wanted to mark this out to be very significant because there's, there's not many locations um where you can walk between the four sevenths line and three sevenths line of latitude so i'm, I'm guessing they just decided to use the old location and, and build a new monument at a much smaller scale that's much easier to use to to measure the size of the planet yeah got you excellent Okay, shall I move on? Or is there anything else to add on? Are the, um, are the circles can, relevant there? Um, the circles are just so that you can see um, where um, Avebury and Silbury Hill is. But I guess we should know that um, the true south direction of Silbury Hill seems to be at a tangent to the outer circle of Avebury. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, rather than going straight from the middle, they've That's gone from correct. the edge of the, of the monument. But, uh, but perfectly on the edge of the monument. My my hunch as to why that might be is because of people uh, might need to get a clear line to True South for some other purpose. I, I don't believe that these monuments were built for just one thing. I believe they were built for multiple purposes. So they might have wanted a, a clear line of sight True South. So building Silbury Hill True South is going to block your view of the horizon. Uh, right, that's a... F- far better practical explanation i was thinking about building a triangle from the other edge of avebury down to silbury and what would that 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 would tell us but i think you're right it's just practical it's sighting isn't it that's the reason i think i I think it's for sighting but there might be other reasons there's there's something called marlborough mound about i think six kilometers to the east that's dated to the same uh, 
same period. I, I have no idea what Marlborough Mound was used for at all. It could have just been ceremonial. There might not have been any sort of astronomical purpose, but given what I'm seeing here, there, there probably was something astronomical at Marlborough Mound. Mm. Okay, shall I move forward? Two slides now, I think. Okay, so this is where I've located my proposed lost city of Atlantis. So um, obviously it's all in blue, so it's difficult to make out, but you, you should be able to see the two concentric rings. Um, they, they correlate with the size of the rings that Plato describes for Atlantis. This sits at a, a tangent um, at the three-sevenths line of latitude, Given, given that um, it's 1,428 kilometers between lines of latitude, it's, it's a heck of a coincidence. Um, so I think it's more than, more than a coincidence. This, this is some evidence that I think lends more credibility to my argument that this could be the lost city of Atlantis. I'm just struggling to see the scale there, but it looks like it's at five kilometers in the bottom left. That's correct, yes. So it's the same, that, that scale at the left is the same width as the city, or what I'm calling the city. Wow. And what's that big ridge line to the south of that goes through that red arrow? That's just the edge of the bathymetric scan. Oh. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> This, this is one of the things you need to be careful of, because if you go on YouTube, a lot, a lot of people say they, they found underwater structures and roads and, and often it's it's just the the edge of the scan lines from the bathymetric survey so what we can tell from that is that the bathymetric survey was either going from east to west or west to east right and, and that's the very edge this european agency emod they've they've stitched um i don't know how much work it was but they've stitched together thousands of bathymetric scans to put together a picture of all the european bathymetric data it's an insane project and it's it's kind it's kind of like google earth but underwater wow and uh, who's funding them where do they get the money from to do this i have no idea interesting to know it would be wouldn't it yeah because it was, probably, I mean, it, was... it was it was probably us when we were in the eu <laughs> <laughs> cool Right, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, you might be asking why is this at a, a tangent to the three sevenths line of latitude? Mm. Um, I think there could be an answer in the next slide. Oh, oh, let's see. Well, well oh. got so some Egyptians. Mm. That's right. Yes. Um, I don't want to get into it too much um, here because I'm about to release a video in the next few weeks about different mythologies that tie into Atlantis. Um, but Plato's story isn't the only um, story that relates to Atlantis. So there's, there are other flood myths that are very similar or have very close parallels. That includes the Egyptians. There's other cultures from around the world, South America, Japan, China, um, parts of Europe, Everywhere seems to have a very, very similar flood myth. Babylon, yeah. Sumerians, just everyone. And there's three or four different iterations in Egypt of the flood myth. But it all stems from a, a primeval mound that arose on an island that was floating in the middle of the ocean. Um, 
and this is a sort of artist's interpretation. I think this is from about 1000 BC or something. So it's an artist's interpretation of that sort of uh, location of the Egyptian Atlantis. And this they called it um, um, the Island of the Egg. Right. And it, it, was, um, the, it was the first place to be sort of civilized. And a primeval mound was formed on this island. And to the east of the primeval mound, the sun rises between two hills or two two mountains and um this is supposed to you know i think this represents the location of atlantis and if you go to the next slide Ooh. that yellow line if if atlantis was exactly on that four uh, on that three-sevenths line of latitude the um the sunrise on the equinoxes would be blocked by what is now Fayal island in the azores and if you move the site a little to the south, which you'll see in the next slide, bang! The sun the sun rises between these two two mountains. So um, that might explain why that again, for purposes of, of astronomy, it's that location has been moved. So you get a clear line of sight to the sunrise on the horizon of the equinoxes. Right. So you look at those sort of two mountain tops there with the sun in the middle, and then if you knock back a couple. There we have it there. Mm. It's interesting. Well, so that, that symbol there... Sorry, um, go on. Sorry, go on. That, that symbol of the sunrise between the two mountains, it, it, there's actually an Egyptian hieroglyphic for that, for sunrise. It's called the Arket. And in the ancient Egyptian calendar, the Arket also represented the season of the flood. So there's another <laughs> another link to, to that as well. Right. And we've got the two ladies here pouring the waters... That's right, around they're pouring the, the, the waters around the, the primeval mound at, the, at, the, at Zeptepi, the first time of creation. Wow. Do we know what these little dudes inside the globe are? They look like they're carrying, they look like compasses. Um, well, I'm not sure. I, I can't find much information on this, but I'm, I'm guessing they represent the Ogdoad or the, the, the various peoples that uh, built the, the various temples and buildings at the, on the primeval mound and, and on the island of creation um th- these do look a little bit like they could be surveying tools for for measuring angles mm, they definitely do yeah the, that i think those are atlanteans with compasses and huge bonus <laughs> there's eight of them measuring the world you, uh, look, you know it's like you know like you, you mentioned the seven levels of uh not longitude Latitude. Latitude, it's, it's yes. like them. It's like there's one at each level, further down the globe, taking a measurement. Mm. Could be. What do I know? I don't know. No, it could. It could be. It, could, it might be. It could be tied into the myth, mythology. Um, I, I think the stories um, have obviously deviated over time. Um, like I said I don't want to get, go into it too much in this video, but there, there's a lot of strong similarities between all the creation myths where. Uh, twins feature heavily. There's always a primeval mound. There's always a, a tree of life, an axis mundi, etc. And it looks like all of these stories um, have stemmed from uh, proto-Indo-European peoples before any sort of modern civilization that we would know of. And obviously these were pre-literate peoples, and that might explain the differences between the creation stories found around the world. Got you. Wonderful. Yeah. Shall I click to the next one? Yes, please. Okay, what have we got here? Oh, we're back at Bimini. 
Okay, so Bimini is not a not a huge island. I, I don't know the size of it off the top of my head, but it's it's quite a small island. I've superimposed the Bimini Road onto this picture, and this shows you again how close Bimini is to, uh, to the two seventh line of latitude. And mm. and it turns out that, that Bimini used to be um, one of the the peaks of a much larger island that submerged probably about eight thousand years ago. So, um, obviously, where I'm saying Atlantis is located, it's very contentious because it's such a deep site that I have to prove that it, it goes right. beyond the standard model. Whereas this this island um, that Bimini used to be part of, it's only sort of 10 or 15 metres below um, current day sea levels. So it was definitely above water for the first few thousand years of the Holocene. So... It's only relatively recently that this island has sunk, and it's it's bigger than the country of Ireland. So, wow. um, mm. we we can see that on the next slide. Yeah, that's one of the uh, things is that they say four hundred feet roughly for sea level, and mm. and the Azores proposed location is quite a bit below that. But I think I remember from our last talk that you were talking about. There's the question of isostatic depression, and this is where these fault lines meet, and there's all mm. sorts of volcanism and other things going on right at that position that, you know, sort of all bets are off, really. I think so. I, I think it's a geologically unique location yes, exactly, um, yeah. in, in the Azores, and that might explain why it goes up and down. But also there's, there's um, a paper that somebody released about 20 years ago saying that Every three to five million years, there's significant crustal thickening in the Azores where it triples in thickness, and then I think it recedes afterwards. So that might explain how it could float up out of um, the mantle below to be above sea level where other locations on the planet wouldn't be able to do that. I might be dreaming this, but wasn't wouldn't, would the Azores have been the centre of Pangaea? That's right. I do mention that in my um, in my geology videos. And um, basically, um, if you look into the work of Alfred Wegener, so he he put together the origin of continents 110 years ago, where he realized all of the continents fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And I'm, I'm arguing that in the ancient past, if, if, if somebody mapped the world in the ancient past, they were bound to see the same thing. They would have spotted the continents fit together. And if they put them back together they would have seen that the azores would have been the very center um of pangaea well, obviously people weren't around there but it might have made sense as to why they could have chose hey they might have the been azores. around don't, don't say <laughs> never i know it's a couple hundred million years ago or more but maybe that's why they called it the navel of the world you know mm-hmm. well exactly and, and because um the continents are still very heavily distributed to one side of the planet it would make sense that if you're going to have a, a mapping system, you'd want to use the very, you know, the center of this of this um, offset uh, continental mass. You'd, it would make sense to use the most central point, which would be the Azores, if you wound everything back to sort of 200 million years ago. So it would have been convenient. And it might have also tied into some of the mythology that might have come later about a, a planet being an egg that's cra- cracked open and, and yeah. spread across the surface of the planet. Yeah, the cosmic egg. I mean, that's that's ubiquitous as well across the ancient civilizations. the creation of the world myth, the cosmic egg. Yeah, Pangaea getting smashed up. Nice, love going, it. But briefly going back to uh, 
going back to Plato, if, if you read Plato, his dialogues of uh, Timaeus and Critias, he states that Atlantis was the way to other islands before you get to the Americas. Well, he doesn't say Americas. He says the opposite continent, which is truly a boundless continent. But there's islands you come to beforehand, and he seems to imply that the Atlanteans had reign over those islands. So um, this, these could have been you know, useful for Atlantean outposts. They may have been set foot in America, and, and Bimini would have been a great location because... It's at the two-sevenths line of latitude, but also you're not on the actual main um, American continent, which, again, was full of bigger and nastier animals than we had in Europe. So it would have been easier to sort of manage wildlife. As you well know, in our own country, we we managed to wipe out all the wolves and beavers and everything. You could probably do that on a small um, island. Yeah, the size of the island of Ireland. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah, Forget them big cats and giant cave, slang, yeah, cave, short-faced cave bears, <laughs> yeah. size of a freaking Abraham's tank. Yeah, yeah, we'll just stay here, thanks. We'll just nip over there when we need to. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Cool. Anything uh, else on? on this one? Or um, I will briefly, briefly mention Cuba in a bit. Um, so I'll leave that to the end because there's a picture at the end relating to Cuba. But I, I believe. Um, because Andrew Collins and um, his colleague Dr. Greg Little, they've they've proposed a location for Atlantis in Cuba, and it actually ties into my um, geodetic coordinates on my map. I'll show you at the end. Okay, cool. Okay, this is just to show you um, the date that I'm proposing. This giant island sank. So that picture I just sh- showed you a minute ago. That submerged landmass is called the Great Bahama Bank. And I've put this. I've put in the average sea level at the Great Bahama Bank, and it ties into a submergence date of about eight thousand years ago. Right. So relatively recently, six thousand yes. BC. So if if Atlantis in the Azores was real, this place would have been the next place to go to for a few thousand years. Right. Got you. Yeah. So if we take Plato's date, which would have been about. 12,000 years ago? Yeah, 11,000 years ago. You could have uh, travelled west, got to the home base, if you like, mm. or this land that they ruled, and uh, you'd be cool there for a few thousand years. And that might even tie into the stories of the Aztec, where they claimed their ancestors came over from the Isle of Aslan, which sounds a lot like Atlan. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. These would, That would be o- Oannes and these um, civilization civilizing. Uh, civilizing influencers yeah. who came over yes, with the beards and the fish tails and shit. There's various sort of Mesoamerican and, and yeah. South American civilizations. They've all, they've all got slightly different creation stories, but again, they've, they've got very close, close links with, with one another. I think it's the, 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 uh, the North American um, stories that are a little bit more um, vague Um Seem, some of them seem to contradict each other. Um, some of them tie in quite well to the, the Mesoamerican creation stories as well. Um, but again, I'll, I'll get into that more in my in my next video. Nice. Okay, shall I move on? Yes, please. Ooh, now we're okay. on land. Oh, Delphi. We're back in Europe. So I, I just wanted to point out uh, where Delphi was with regards to um, the three-sevenths line of latitude. So that's the same latitude as Atlantis. Um, it's 10 kilometres south 
of the line of latitude. Um, but as pointed out by Hugh Newman, so I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Hugh Newman. No. He he um, writes books and makes YouTube videos um, about very similar subjects. And, and in one of his videos, he, he states uh, that somebody else has, has pointed out there's, there's a location further up the mountain, further north, that would have placed the location at the three-sevenths line of latitude. Um, but there's also another important thing to point out. If, if you, on the right-hand side of this picture, there's a, that big white blob is actually a mountain, and that's called uh, Mount Parnassus. Uh, and that's very, very important in, in Greek mythology. It's called Parnassus after uh, the ancient ruler of a city um, called Parnassus, who his city flooded, and I think he sought salvation on that mountain. That's not the only Greek flood mythology. It's also related to the the um, flood of Deucalion and Pyrrha. I don't know if you've you've heard that story, um, but that's basically um, a story about um, the um, it's the Greek version of Noah's Ark, basically. And I, I believe um, Deucalion's father was um, Prometheus. He tried to steal fire from Zeus. Zeus. Um, constrained him in chains on Mount um, Caucasus. And when um, Deucalion went to visit him, he told him that the world's going to flood, build an ark. And um, after after the flood took place, um, Deucalion and his wife Pyrrha, their ark landed on Mount Parnassus. So there's two flood mythologies that relate to Mount Parnassus. Both, you know, um, Parnassus and... Delphi are very close to that three-sevenths line of latitude. And did you say before the the other author said that he felt there was another location for Delphi bang on the three-sevenths latitude? Not on, but not bang on. I, I don't know where it is exactly, but it's further north um, than Delphi. So it, it was probably an original location that preceded Delphi. Right. Okay. If you look at Hugh Newman um, at his YouTube channel and his Delphi video, there might be some more detail in there. Cool. He also points out some of the Cyclopean architecture at Delphi that you don't find in many other places in Greece. Really? Yes. That's interesting. Wherever we find Cyclopean architecture, that's like a alarm bell, isn't it? Some it's uh, might be dealing with some. Um, some uh, advanced uh, stonemasonry technology, who knows? Mm. It might point out that it could be older than it's suggested. So again, Delphi, there might be newer things at Delphi that are built on a, an older site. Yes, because often the Cyclopean stuff is in like the first courses, isn't it? Or the foundations, and then it's more modern uh, Roman and Greek stuff on top. That's correct, yes. Yeah, cool. Okay, shall I move on? Yes, please. Oh, Ziggy Dan, Delphi is a nubbed site, and he would know, because <laughs> yes, he's a nub collector. He is a nub. <laughs> oh, we've got a cosmic, another egg. Oh. So that's the Omphalos stone I was talking about earlier in the video. So, um, again, if you look at Richard Heath's book, um, he points out there's a Greek myth where Zeus is trying to find the centre of the planet, which could be what you would call the Axis Mundi. And he sent out two eagles, one from the north, one from the south. And, and uh, Richard Heath argues that two-sevenths line of latitude is is what represents where the eagle from the south left, and the four-sevenths line of latitude represents 
um, the northern location that the Eagle left, and they met in the middle at Delphi, where Zeus placed um, the Omphalos stone, which is supposed to represent the centre of the Earth or the navel of the Earth. I assume he didn't weld the, the bar around the outside there. <laughs> <coughs> now, when you say this is the Omphalos stone, is it? Or is it a recreation, a uh, homage? So I thought it had been sure. lost. I'm guessing it's been lost, yeah. It, I, I can't imagine something like... One, if you look at the state of the rest of, of the site at Delphi, I, I couldn't imagine, of all things, the Omphalos stone would be the one thing... Sort they of would leave. As it, as yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that. Get the treasure, get the gold. <laughs> get all the tithes, so we'll leave the, uh, the uh, sacred meteorite. <laughs> it looks right, though. I mean, um, it's supposed to be 600 mil... Uh, or two feet to uh, old imperial chaps. 600 mil to the millennium millennials. 600 mil tall, I think it's supposed to be, isn't it? And conical. I've, I've, no, I've no idea of the dimensions. Um, don't know how I many stadia that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why um, it's conical. Maybe, again, it's supposed to represent the egg of the northern hemisphere, possibly. Um, oh, yeah. There are omphalos stones found in ancient sites, in people's homes in Bulgaria from 5,000 years ago. Um, and on the omphalos stone, there are lines drawn that might be akin to sort of navigation lines. It might be it might be a tribute to the old world globe that they tell stories of, possibly. I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, this is conjecture at this point, yeah. but um, it, I think it could represent, you know, the, the navel or centre of the earth, and it's also, rep you know, representing... The shape could be to do with the egg, you know, the, the egg, earth egg. Mm. Cool. Okay, let's move on. Ooh. Okay, so this is the, the temple site of, of Karnak, um, which would have been on the east of Thebes, the old capital Thebes. And um, basically, the, just above that um, label saying the, the precinct of Armand Reyes, the, there's a temple there where there, there was also another omphalos stone that's, that's no longer there. Nice. Is okay, this? So that's, that's, I'm just trying to think. Karnak. Is this the same temple that Shwala Delubich spent most of his life looking into? I've not looked into his work at no. the moment. It's um, Luxor. Luxor. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all. That's that's all in the same area. Luxor, uh, Thebes, Karnak. It's all the same. I think Luxor might even just be the modern name, possibly. Um, yeah, I think it is. So that could be the Temple of Man. There are a number of temples there. Um, I can't remember the can't remember the, the temple it's supposed to be in the Temple of Mutt, possibly. Um, um, I'm not great at I'm not great at uh, ancient Egyptian temples, unfortunately. But um, that temple to the north of the, the precinct of Amun Re um, point that I've put on there is is the temple that would have been located at. Here, please. Sorry, go on. That's, that's, that's also the location. The line, the green line goes straight through. Um, there's like an avenue of sphinxes that go straight straight um, through that line. Mm. Wow. Like a, a east to west avenue of sphinxes and the line bisect goes it, through it. It's, it's not east to west. You, you can see it's sort of closer to north to south. They're not, not perfectly north to south. So oh, right. I, just found, I just found it interesting that they went through the avenue of sphinxes. Excellent. Should we move on to the next one? Certainly. 
Okay, so there's another site on the three-sevenths line of latitude. It, it's called Almendres Cromlech. Um, forgive me if my my pronunciation is not very good. Um, but it's 1.57 kilometres um, south of the three-sevenths line of latitude. And uh, it's the largest group of standing stones in the Iberian Peninsula. Wow, and it's within one and a half kilometres. In, interestingly, one and a half kilometres, 1.57 is exactly half of pi. Um, oh. And I, I think there's a strong link between the modern kilometre and possibly ancient units of measurement. Um, if we take a circle of one metre in diameter, um, if you divide the circumference by six, you have exactly one royal Egyptian cubit. So that links into the ancient sexagesimal system. Right. So like they, they counted everything by six and 12 and multitudes of 12. And, and divisions of 60, for example. Yeah, um, whereas we use 10, don't we? For everything, yes. it seems, the decimal system. They use, yeah, six... Yeah, if you go, if, yeah, when you get into this sort of ancient numerology, everything's divisible by six, 360 and um, all the um, processional numbers, I think, all the harmonic numbers are similar, I think. Yeah, so Almendra's Cromlech, it's, again, it's, it's a similar site to Avebury. It, so I said it's the largest group of standing stones in the entire Iberian Peninsula, but it's also 3,000 years older than Avebury or the pyramids. So it's it's a really old site. Wow, excellent! I think I've I've put a couple of pictures in. If you scroll on, that show you what Almendras Cromlech looks like. Is that it? That's it. And then there's an overhead shot as well. And it looks like it's pointing. If if you look at a map, it looks like it's pointing to the west, and it's on the same latitude as Atlantis, which is uh, a bit of coincidence. A lot of coincidences yeah. along this <laughs> on this line. Yeah, excellent. Okay. okay, so if we move on again at that same latitude, two kilometres north of the Atlantis <coughs> latitude, um, there's what looks like a gigantic mound. This is in northeast Kentucky. I'm, I'm going to be careful here because it, it could just be natural. But this this mound. <clears throat> this mound's located in a in a ridge complex. I'm guessing it's a glacial ridge complex, um, but th- there's nothing else in that entire complex that looks like this. And I'm I'm wondering if if you compare it to the ridge on the right, if somebody's carved out a section of that ridge to form a mound, um, and that mound also happens to be the same exact same width as the central island of Atlantis. It's five stadia in width, and coincidentally it's exactly one radian in distance from almendris cronlet so it's, it's out by a kilometer or something but otherwise it's exactly one radian in distance from almendris cronlet what was the radian and so a radian is is a, a unit of measure that's exact it's um exactly one radius unit but as an arc on a circle so if you take the <laughs> radius if you take the radius of any circle and lay it onto the surface, or onto the circumference, and bend it. That's a radian. Oh, right. Okay. So there's two pi radians. So there's 6.28 radians in a circle. 
Gosh. And that, um, if, if you look into the video I released, episode nine on, on my YouTube series, it explains that in more detail, but it could be, could be quite significant. Uh, who owns the land here? Is it public I land no or idea. private? <laughs> I think it might be private property. So obviously that people shouldn't go running up there and excavating the site because they might get shot or something. I don't know. Uh, definitely, Kentucky. definitely get shot in Kentucky. <laughs> no doubt about it. You should um, find out. Find out who owns the land and see, you know, has anything... Have you... I know you, this is... You, we're sort of uh, speculating here and hypothesising because, like you said, it could be natural, this formation, but have you done anything further? Have you looked into who owns the land? Uh, has any work been done there? Has anyone ever noticed this thing before? So I, I have no idea how to start about going that to be how to, you know how to do that, but it's something I do want to look into. If anyone's watching this and they know how to do it and want to do it and update us, that would be cool as well. Yeah. Okay. We'll work on that. Yeah. For next week. Mm. <laughs> okay. Shall I click on? Yes, please. Okay. So that mound we saw in the previous picture, it's exactly forty-eight as in 48.00 kilometres from the tail of Serpent Mound. So there's a lot of other mounds in Kentucky and the surrounding states um, built by various cultures, including the Hopewell culture. Again, I, I think there's a, a strong link between the unit of kilometres and ancient units of measurement. So the, the idea being that the modern, the modern metre is supposed to be... Uh, 10, 10 million meters or, or 10,000 kilometers um, from the equator to the North Pole, which would make an entire circumference of the world 40 million meters or 40,000 kilometers. All of these ancient sites over you know, Egypt and parts of the sort of near and Middle East, they're, um, they're separate, separated by distances that are divisible by four kilometers. And you'll see that all these locations here are made up from a number of right angle triangles as well. Uh, I'm just seeing magic numbers here. 1080, 1440, 960. Exactly. Do you know why exactly. you, you know your TV's 1080p? Yeah. Because Giza is, ten, <laughs> is, is that far from Quebec Lissafi? Because it's a harmonic number. <laughs> it's a harmonic number. We've talked, Ryan Seven's been through all this with us. Uh, Randall Carlson goes over it. There's a reason why these numbers keep recurring. But it suggests that these guys who built this shit knew. Yes. And this was or a reason possibly, why they selected the location. Or possibly the, the people that built, built these, you know, more modern, not modern, but more modern sites, they, I think they may well have built on older locations. Whether or not they knew what was going on, I, I have a hunch the Egyptians knew what was going on. Whether or not um, everyone else knew what was going on, I don't know. Yeah, and uh, uh, we've not really mentioned, uh, we've not really been to Mesopotamia yet in this uh, geodetic uh, adventure. But that's um, Ur of the Chaldees, so that's ancient Babylon, isn't it? So um, the Ziggurat of Ur started out, I believe it was Sumerian originally, and then it was refurbished by the Babylonians. Yeah, right, got you. The modern... The modernization by the Babylonians. Yeah, modern, yeah. Well, they built like seven, again, seven, seven steps yes. in a ziggurat. Yes, exactly. Yes. And uh, hemisphere link. Yes. And sort of seen as possible 
analogous with pyramids, steps pyramids. Yes, in in my um, in my video um, episode nine, I mentioned that I, I believe the Great Pyramid is trying to encode the seven steps in its dimensions. So, the Great Pyramid is a square-based model of a hemisphere. Um, yep. And if you look into the mathematics of it, because it's got four sides, it kind of almost secretly encodes the seven latitudes into it. I, I won't go into that here. It gets really heavy on the numbers. So tune into episode nine on my YouTube channel yes. to get to the bottom of that. But I, I think both the you know the uh, sort of model of the universe, um, the Babylonian model of the universe, where the Earth is a seven-step great ziggurat and the Great Pyramid of, of Giza, I, I believe they're both trying to represent the seven latitudes that ancient geodeters would have used to measure the Northern Hemisphere. And then we've got Gebekli Tepe up there, which is at least, what, 10,000 years old, if not older? I think they're saying it's at least 12,000 years old. It's part of a larger complex. There's other things up there as well. Um, yeah. There's so I'm, I'm, about 5%, isn't it, that's been excavated? Something stupid? That's right. There's there's a lot to do. Um, it's an exciting region to be if you're an archaeologist, I believe. So. Well, yeah, because there's Karahan Tepe and loads of they keep finding these tepes. They keep yeah, they finding. Seem to be finding them. They find them all the time, um, and it's it's one of the few places in the world where they are genuinely excavating ancient sites. There's a number of places around the world where it's either too dangerous or or you just can't get funding to excavate sites that might be of extreme importance to our lost history yes and politics enters the equation as well doesn't it unfortunately i i think so yeah excellent love that oh the, oh here's a radian yeah there's that radian distance that i, I spoke about between Amendris cromlech and what i'm calling the mystery mound hmm. both on the same latitude on the atlantis latitude so that is one radian of the world at that latitude is that what i'm seeing it's, so that that yellow line is um, is not on that latitude. So that's the shortest distance. So I, I think they they were looking for the shortest possible distance between those two points. Um, but they they also mark out the same latitude. But if you if you you can probably look at the well, you can kind of make out the old ice age coastline on yeah. Google Maps. Not per, not perfectly, but it would have. If you followed that route, it would have halved the amount of time in the ocean. You would have been able to take most of the rest of that journey by land. Got yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, hmm. uh-huh, yeah. Imagine travelling sort of mm. on a northern arc there. Uh, yeah, and that's shorter than following the... Uh, the latitude line. Yeah. Excellent. But you can't go to Atlantis if you go that way. No, no you wouldn't. You, oh, yeah. Sad times. You could probably... Well, it, it might be that somewhere, I'll, I'll show you at the end, Almendris Cromlech might have been a, a navigational waypoint to point you to a number of different locations. Oh, excellent. I'll show you at the end. Oh, there, there it is. That's, that's, um, this is the slide I was talking about. So um, there's the three latitudes. Um, there's some other sort of geodetic triangles that, that link together Atlantis, the Rickat structure, and Avebury. Uh, similarly, um, I've created a new triangle, so I heard from Dr. Greg Little, and he he said he's placed Atlantis in Cuba along with um, Andrew Collins. And I thought, well, I have a hunch that the Rickash structure might have been used for geodesy because it's a massive great big circle that you don't have to build. It was already there. And I I wondered 
Um, if you've heard of Rene Lavasia Island, it's a 200 million year old uh, meteor crater in Canada. It's 70 odd kilometers in diameter. It's a big circular lake. I thought that might be an equivalent point to the Rickash structure. And once um, Greg Little mentioned his location for Atlantis in Cuba, I drew a straight line between his his Atlantis and Rene Lavasia Island, and if and it forms two perfectly symmetrical right angle triangles that link to that mystery mound I spoke about earlier. That's weird. Um, okay, and it, it gets even weirder. Um, if you draw a great circle, again, that's the shortest path across the surface of, of the globe. If you draw a, a, a great circle from Thebes straight through Almendras Cromlech, not near it, straight through the middle of Almendras Cromlech, it takes you to the exact centre of Greg Little and Andrew Collins' Atlantis site in Cuba. It's not near it. It goes straight into the very centre. I, I think these are all starting to get beyond coincidence. And it's, mm. is it going through Atlantis as well, uh, the Azores Atlantis? It's going through the Azores. It's, it's a few kilometres north of where I'm saying Atlantis is, but it's going straight through the, um, the, the centre of... It would have been an island been, at the time. Yeah, it's going straight through the centre of what would have been an island at the time. <laughs> wow. That's not the end of the story. Okay. I did something... Once I made that link between Thebes, Almendras, Cromlech, and um, this Cuban Atlantis site, I thought, well, maybe Avebury's trying to do something similar to um, Almendris Cromlech. So I, I drew a line from Delphi to René Lavasia Island. It comes very close to Avebury, but if we if we draw that line from Mount Parnassus, the one that's linked with all the flood myths, just slightly east of Delphi, it goes straight through the centre of Avebury <laughs> into René Lavasia Island. So I, I think this is all for purposes of, of ancient... Um, geodesy and, and cartography I, I think we might have found some a- ancient system of, of navigating the atlantic ocean in particular and you said the rene island thing is is a is an ancient crater millions of year old crater yeah i think it might be in the next slide i might have actually shown it that's recast try the next one or was that the last one um, years let me just old. check I'm going to check my uh, check my folder yes it's 27 the next slide on from or next slide on from this one Mountain oh there we are so that's in in Canada that's about 72 kilometers in diameter on the same latitude as Avebury 72 oh. kilometers in diameter I think so yeah 72 yeah now that has to be a coincidence it's a meteor crater but yeah but still, um, this 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 is two hundred and thirteen million years old. So again, I, I believe I don't I, I don't believe we were on the planet at that time. So, um, but I, I I think that the Rene Lavasia Island and the Rickat structure would have been very convenient locations to to mark out this system. Um, Rene Lavasia Island wouldn't have been visible until after the Ice Age. So that that would tie into this Cuban Atlantis site that might have been inhabited after the after the Ice Age ended. I think that people may have left or fled Atlantis, both east and west. I think the west location would have been the Bahamas and Cuba, because it's a safer location to be. And um, maybe when they started to try and plot everything back out, they used this as their second waypoint. After the uh, ash sheet had receded. 
That's right. Yeah, you, you wouldn't have been able to see this twenty thousand years ago, or even probably even twelve, thirteen thousand no. years ago. It would have been just covered in ice. Yeah, two mile thick ice sheet above it, and then just going back. So, is this which one? Is this three cat? So this is a. Um, I think it's about it's a crater, a meteor crater, about two hundred kilometers northeast of the Rickard structure. Right. But again, I, I don't, I don't know if the Rickard structure would have been used as a, a, a location. I think, as a minimum, it was used for geodesy because it's a convenient concentric circular feature. You're not going to miss it. Um, but there's there's definitely artifacts there. Um, they're, they're not advanced artifacts. They're sort of Stone Age artifacts that do tie into about eleven thousand six hundred years ago. Right, that people um, would have used it. I, are you crater? Sorry, sorry, Matt. Are you, are you of the school that the recat is uh, natural? I believe it's natural. Yes. Yeah, that's the recat structure. In the, they call it the Eye of the Sahara mm-hmm. in North Africa. It's very interesting. I, I think- I think there's I think there's very strong links um, to the Atlantis location I've proposed just because it geodetically links up. So I'm saying as a minimum, I think it was used for measuring and, and navigation, but there's definitely artifacts there that date back to about that same sort of time. Wow. It's definitely not the place that Plato describes if you take the, the stadia as being 185 metres. Right, it's the wrong um, size to be Atlantis. But there, is, there is something that the Rickat structure does match that no, I don't think there's any other location that matches the Rickat structure. And Plato describes Atlantis as being on a plane that's 2000 stadia by 3000 stadia, which that, that's the size of the entire Azores plateau. That and, and it's not a plane, it's mostly mountains. But if you draw a line north to south of the plateau that the Rickat structure sits on, it's exactly, exactly 2000 stadia north to south. And that kind of ties into Plato's description so I'm, I'm wondering if plato or or the egyptians where plato got his story from originally have tied together a load of ancient um mythologies from the ice age and, mm. and they've got details details mixed up perhaps yeah it's like chinese whispers and uh they've think, been they've got they've been trying to sort of pass down all this information tons and tons of geodetic information and it's just got sort of mangled up together and and that's I what think that can, I, I think the the other sort of proof for that really is that the various creation stories found throughout the world that are so similar yet have differences sort of proves the whole Chinese whispers kind of, of um, example you just raised. Mm. Yeah, but because there is, there is. Sorry, sorry, carry on. Now I was just going to say we, we have to remember that the original account that everyone sort of takes as the launch pad, the Plato account. He's recording that as it was told to Solon, what, two, three hundred years before Plato, by the Egyptian priests. And they're saying that this happened 9,000 years before them. So, you know, it's not going to be bang on, is it? It's going to be, there's going to be inaccuracies and who knows what going on. And and it's important to mention in in Plato's dialogues, I think he, he sort of, mentions from the storyteller's point of view I've, I've had a night to think about this i'm trying to retell it as best as i can remember <laughs> yeah so that, that's a key point but i i used to believe that that um, plato's dialogues was the sort of only source for the atlantean myth but if you look into other creation mythologies cosmologies and and the 
Proto-Indo-European story, it looks like there are stories that relate to the same place that far, you know, date further, way further back than Plato. Mm. I think it's called Atlantis and Plato's story, and it's, it's given different names in, in other mythologies, and, and most importantly, I think, in, in the Aztec mythology, the, the island that their ancestors left was called Aslan, which is so close to Atlan that uh, it, it's got to get you thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this crater on the right hand side, it's, it's 1.9 kilometers in diameter. That's 200 um, kilometers away from the Rickash structure, and, and that crater was formed anywhere between 30,000 years ago and 11,700 years ago, the, the date that the Young Gadrias ended. And, and this thing was huge. It was um, it's not enough to cause an extinction event, not not even close, but it, it's bigger than the Barringer crater in Arizona, just for comparison. So. It would have been like a small nuclear bomb going off. Yeah, and eleven thousand that's within the time frame for possibly being involved with the you know, if we believe if we go off the comet impact theory hypothesis that the you know, North America got sort of bulk shotted with with comet fragments, um, that could have been a, a straggler that hit North Africa. It could be, yeah. It could well be. Fits in temporally. Nice. Mm. Okay, I'll skip ahead to the next one. Oh, we've done this one, haven't we? Have we any more? Um, there's just one more picture. Oh. So if you go to the very end. Ooh. Um, you can probably just ignore the red arrow for now. I think that's where I've placed Almendris Cromlech. Um, but this is what I'm I'm suggesting. From the stories of Delphi, where Delphi's supposed to be the centre of the world, and... It's on the same latitude as Atlantis. And there's all these different Axis Mundi stories in the creation mythologies. I'm suggesting that the latitude of Atlantis and Delphi, Almendris Cromlech, and that mystery mound in, in Kentucky, I'm suggesting that is the Axis Mundi. So an axis is just a, a reference line for measuring coordinates, and Mundi means world, so a global reference line for measuring coordinates. And, and I would say it would have made sense to put an ancient prime meridian um, through the centre of Atlantis, because that's the most central point when you reverse the continents together. Right. So instead of Greenwich Mean Time, mm. this could have been the uh, the primordial... Atlantis Mean Time, yeah. Atlantis Mean Time. <laughs> wow. And so that would have been the way they calibrated their... Uh, their uh, what you call it, your observations when you're ocean-going? They would have used... That reference point. I think that would have been the, the point of common reference. So mm. there probably would have been lookup charts where um, you reference the moon and its relative positions to various stars to calculate your, your longitude. And like the zero point, I would say, would be Atlantis. And then you could say that um, east of Atlantis is, is um, Avebury, for example, and west of Atlantis is Bimini. Um, this um, Axis Monday, Monday, <laughs> Axis Monday, I, I think, uh, wasn't Ur on that line, Ur of the Chaldees? No, it's a bit, it, no, it's too north, isn't it? I'm getting mucked um, up. I'm just wondering, you've, I, you've, you've sort of found places in uh, Spain and Greece. Have, have you gone further east into like China and it looks like it cuts through Japan there? Have you been able to find anything else? I've... 
not had a chance to look at the whole planet yet, but um, I've, I've I've looked in um, I've looked in Kazakhstan um, because it's a, it, I looked at specifically in a location in Kazakhstan because um, I chose the same diff, distance between Avebury and Rene Lavasia Island. I thought, what if we go east exactly the same distance? And there's a, a collection of geoglyphs in Kazakhstan that date back. No one knows how old. They, they could be a thousand years old. They could be eight thousand years old. That's the consensus. And there's big circular rings of mounds in Kazakhstan on that latitude. Um, there's, there's hundreds of them, and, and there's very little archaeology that's been done there. Um, some people are trying to attribute it, uh, attribute it all to the times of Genghis Khan, and, and other people are saying it's uh, this is archaeologists. There's no real consensus there. Archaeologists saying it's a thousand years old, or, or, and some other archaeologists saying they found evidence that it's eight thousand years old. But it's so hard to find anything about this site in Kazakhstan. I, I, I think if you start looking around the world, you might start to find other things at these latitudes. I think these latitudes were chosen on purpose because. Um, they they relate they relate to pi. Um, we approximate pi in fractions as twenty two over seven. Sort of decimal floating point or irrational numbers as we call them today. That that's a relatively modern phenomenon. I don't think ancient peoples had irrational numbers. I think they could only work with fractions, and it's likely ancient people also used twenty two over seven for pi. So it's possible that if other people were trying to map the world, they might have come to the same conclusion independently and you might find other locations that may or may not be related to what i'm calling atlantis but they could still be on the key latitudes because it's the only real simple way to do it 22 over 7 so 20 pi is 3.141 and 22 over 7 as a fraction is 3.142 or something like that it's about four percent above the true value of pi Right. So, if you if you split the line, if you split the, the diameter of a circle into seven equal chunks, you'll get twenty two of those chunks will go around the actual circumference of that same circle. Right. Right. Got you. And that'll work north to south, just the same as east to west. So, if you're dividing the uh, Earth by seven lines of latitude. Like the seven-step ziggurat. You might want to do it in the longitude to take into account the oblate nature of the Earth, possibly. Right, because it's a bit fatter. We all get pudgy around the middle, don't we? I certainly do. Not 26 miles, like. Mm. Wow. This is really interesting. Mm. I'm loving it. Yeah, we need to go where... Where are we going, then? Kazakhstan, you think? Maybe we can uh, get some funding for a dig, yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Well, I really want to go to the Azores because there's a number of um, anomalies on the present day Azores. I, I don't think you can date any of them back to the time of the end of the Younger Dryas and the start of the Holocene, but it, it looks like there could be Roman hypogeums on um, on the Azores. So these are sort of like places where you put funerary urns and it could very well be that there's other... Um, megalithic sites that are very deeply buried in earth now in the azores as well that might date back to the time of the egyptians possibly so wow. um 
a lot more needs to be done. There's there's not a lot lot of archaeology going on. I, I know there's um, somebody native to the Azores making some videos in Portuguese about some of these sites, and there's also a, a professor of physics at the University of the Azores that's trying to take these things seriously. I don't think a lot of people are taking him seriously, which is, this is a shame because he, he's a genuine professor of physics. <laughs> Obviously, that they're, they're saying you're not a historian, you're not an archaeologist. But, yeah. Well, you know, he's a smart guy, so <laughs> it's. It's a bit disingenuous to just write people off. It's always been the same, isn't it? You know, as soon as you mention Atlantis, um, the mainstream uh, scholarship will label you as a, a crank. Yeah. It's, uh, that's just I'd the way it is. Be, uh, I'd rather be a crank than a normie, though, to be fair. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, on that note, yeah. what do we need to do, Matt? We need to go to YouTube channel, subscribe there. Yeah, if you go to my YouTube channel, obviously you can probably see the link above my head. Um, Be in the show notes as well. Yeah, if you go to my YouTube channel, that's that's the best point to sort of follow me. You can also find my Twitter link on my YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple more videos coming out about, maybe one more about Atlantis. Um, I'm going to write a book about all of my uh, findings so far. Oh, Hopefully. Nice. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to sort of get my argument out there so that either somebody else who's got the money can survey the site or potentially I could get enough recognition that I could raise the money myself through crowdfunding, for example, to uh, see if we can do a more detailed survey of the site to start with and then see what's going on. Um, but yeah, the best place to follow me for now is, is on my YouTube channel. All the links are on my YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, I don't release videos very often, but every sort of two or three months, but um, yeah. I think that's it, guys. And have you started the book yet, did you say? I've compiled all of the information from my um, from my videos into one big document. I've got additional information in there I've not presented on my videos. And uh, um, I'm hoping to get a self-published book out within the next 6 to 12 months, depending on my workload outside of... Uh, outside of my outside of my hobby slash obsession brilliant well look forward to that you have to let us know make sure you let us know when it comes out yeah if you need any proofreaders i'll volunteer yeah yeah that would be good i do i do want proofreaders to you know to be fair okay sign me up put me put me in coach (laughs) (laughs) well it's been a pleasure nice to see you matt again Nice to see you guys. And uh, as we said, links are in the show notes. Um, subscribe to Matt's channel. It's really uh, interesting. It's a different take on this stuff, you know, compared mm. to a lot of the other guys on and gals on YouTube. Some proper hard maths in there. Yeah. Which I'm not very good at, but you do a good job of sort of shepherding us retards through the, uh, the higher <laughs> maths. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Okay, stay on the live for us while we play ourselves out, and we'll see you guys on the flip side for part two for some news. Mm. Okay. Hey. Sell a V then. What I'm talking about. And we're back. The dwarf and the mother of madness. Nice. Not crippled this week. He's on. He's on uh, vacay. Uh, annual leave. It's called. Is it? Yeah, that's what you call it in industry. 
He's on annual leave. So I enjoyed that chat. You know, I like triangles. I like glacial maximums. I like pie. And you like <laughs> pies. Meat pies. Meat pie, sausage roll. Come on, England, give us a goal. And yeah, all of those things. Yeah, it's good. I like Matt's stuff. Mm. Like I said, I think I said at the end, but it, it, it sort of takes a different slant on this stuff. Looking at it from with the bathymetry and then the... Uh, Using math. The math stuff, you know. Uh, it's mm. like uh, Rando, Big Rando says, the numbers don't lie. Mm. You can write as, you know, you can start by writing them off as coincidences, but you come to a point where it's like, where does the line of um, belief extend? How many how many coincidences are you going to stomach before you think, oh, maybe they're on something here? I don't know. Exactly. Everyone has a different line, don't they, of um, credulity. Mm, mine is the third parallel. Is it? Yeah. Nice. Mm. Mine's at 33 degrees. Yeah. Of pie. Of pies, yeah. Not a Freemasonry. I'm not a Freemason. Believe no. it or not. No, you're in the Theosophical Society, though. Yeah, I'm an insider, man. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, uh, Theosophy gets um, harsh criticism from some quarters, and I understand why, especially from um, Christians. Um, I'm not going to lie, I'm in it because it's got a really good, cheap online bookshop, right? used bookshop. I've not been to a meeting for, I don't know, since for forever. Since the first meeting that you had to go to. Yeah, Get my initiation. <laughs> I was raised like Lazarus. Yeah. No, but they've got a really... It's like, it costs like 10 quid for the year, and they've got a really good second-hand bookshop if you're into uh, research in the occult and theosophy and esoterica. Yeah. So it's worth it for that for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's nothing about the oath. I remember that sort of uh, jarred with me. Did you actually have to do an oath? Sign an oath, yeah. Right, okay. Or sign a disclaimer. And what did you sacrifice? Nothing, really. Tenor. Just your dignity every day. <laughs> How did you guys meet? I've always wanted to ask. Who? I think she's talking about us. Me and Phil. Yeah. Or um, me and Matt Apocalypse. Matt Apocalypse. <laughs> How did you and Matt Apocalypse meet, Matt? Um, something to do with uh, Amish Phil, I think. Yeah, Bookman, I guess. Yeah. No, we went to school together. Yeah, but short answer. You really, what you should do is go back to episode one. I think it's called. Um, what is it called? You're not even in it, Pikachu. Wait. Yeah, I was. This was when we we uh, um, started recording them and right. releasing them. Yeah. There was a lot recorded, wasn't there? that weren't released because they were too horrific. Right, yeah, so just go back and listen to the previous 750 hours of... <laughs> and then you'll figure it out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because, like, some of those early podcasts are, like, four four hours long, aren't they? So... An odd one, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, work your way through it. Oh, my it gosh. But school, basically school, and me feeling sorry for Phil and wanting wanting him to be cool like me. So I made him my friend. Yeah, I I really do value the sacrifice you made to your social standing by doing that. Yeah. Because you were like the uh, 
you were like the cool kid the, the, the school cock of the school weren't you in primary school <laughs> <laughs> that's what they called me <laughs> we're like the fucking more like the in-betweeners yeah we were like the uh, in-betweeners definitely. yeah yeah I would say so mm. right uh, links to the show notes for Matt Apocalypse yeah. as you've just found it's a hard channel to find <laughs> Isn't it? If you go to YouTube and type in Apocalypse, you ain't finding Matt Apocalypse's no. channel. So go to the show notes. The link is there. Save yourself some time. I've saved it for you. Yeah. Um, I've just, I have to do that every time. I think I even might have, I'm pretty sure I'm sub to it as well. And it's still a pain in the ass to find <laughs> it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's almost as if the YouTube, them tube, yeah. them tube are trying to hide something. Yeah, and it's interesting. His first video got like eighty thousand views, and then it and then he's been secretly shadow banned. Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> now let's not have this game popular. Come on, nerf that shit exactly into the ground. Turn the algorithm up to fuck you. Mm. Yeah, so you know that's how it goes, isn't it? Let's do some headlines. Thanks for watching on. Headlines of the week. Obi-Wan season two needs to explore his sexuality. No. <laughs> Is there a suggestion? That he, why? What are you trying to say? They know what they're doing, Leia. <laughs> you know what they're doing? I mean, the fact that it needs to explore his sexuality. Do we need to confirm that he's a heterosexual then? Well, well apparently not. I've got this uh, article from James Troughton. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember what rag it was in. Some online nonsense. Okay. Uh, a new Phantom Menace prequel novel from Kirsten White called Padawan unearths his true thoughts and inner struggles. Something that even his standalone show, Obi-Wan, failed to do meaningfully because it was so obsessed with revisiting old ground. It turns out that Obi-Wan might be asexual, but he might also be bisexual. Why? We're not seeing this from telly, are we? But this it comes from this novel, this prequel novel. The novel follows a younger Obi-Wan, and there's a moment when a male teen flirts with him. He dismisses it. Jedi doctrine forbids attachments, so it's futile. But it stirs something in him. He begins to ask himself if he would, ki- if he would kiss any of the other teens, or even all of them, given the chance. The way he thinks about men is indistinguishable from the way he thinks about women. But in the end, he decides he doesn't want to kiss anyone. So this prequel novel that some SJW has written... <laughs> That's being published by Disney is exploring his sexuality. Because, you know, it's 2022, baby. We have to put the cultural nonsense that we carry around into everything that we do these days. Uh, It's unclear if this is due to his Jedi upbringing or an undiscovered asexual identity, but that mystery only makes his queerness all the more compelling to me. Good. Yeah. This expert excerpt brought me back to my days in church. No, I don't like any men. None of them. I don't, I would say to myself over and over, because denying it buried those feelings and helped stave off a reflex that would only doom me to further paranoid anxiety. Denial was easier than confronting the idea 
that I might be wrong or defective. It's fucking Star Wars, mate. Why, what, you know, what, yeah. is it, what is this? What is this wanking on about, man? It's just, it's just like that. The thing, that reoccurring theme, isn't it? About shoehorning in stuff. The message, yeah, <laughs> that uh, just doesn't need to be there. I mean, you know, if it's a story about someone's sexuality, like uh, the oh, one I always think about is like, is it called? Is it not called Moonlight, is it? I don't know what it's called now. It's got out of my head completely. Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun, yeah. That one was all about the gays, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, if it's about it, then that's fine, isn't it? But just don't... We have to view everything through this lens. This is uh, part of the culture, the modern culture. Okay. Man suffers 100 erections a day and girlfriend says there's no rest. Suffers a hundred erections. Well, yes. If if, if a chance would be a fine thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, one a day, one a day. Hundred erections a day. So that's four an hour, slightly more. <laughs> Assuming you're getting them through the night. Yeah, exactly. So otherwise, it's like eight an hour. Eight an hour in your waking life. Mm. Eight an hour. That's less than every ten minutes. Mm. Every every eight minutes, basically. Yeah. Every eight minutes you get an erection. Mm. I mean, you haven't got time to go down and go away before it comes back. Exactly, yeah. That's something wrong with this guy. Mm. Yeah, let's uh, dive deeper because there are some weird quotes in this article from the Metro. Okay. Vicky Brown, 31, and Lucas Martins, 39, met by chance in a Morrison supermarket queue, and since then they've enjoyed a passionate relationship. But Vicky says her partner's erections are so frequent they can happen at any time, such as in the shop or going for a coffee. Lucas even went to the doctor about it, but was told it was not a medical issue. So it's all clear from the doctor. Is he, like, 14 years old? Is that why he has 100 erections a day? He's the same age as me. He's older than her. 45. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, can't. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the son of the I'll have you now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 39. Um, maybe you want to see a picture of her? Yeah. Maybe that would help. Here's the couple. Right. I mean, he's only human, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And she's a bit of a cougar. I would say so. 31, apparently. Yeah. Mm. In cat years. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Being uh, liberal with the truth there on her age. But hey, that's a woman's prerogative, man. Cut me some slack. Wow. That's what I, what I would say if I was her. Uh, Lucas went to the doctor, got the all clear. He says he never experienced... <laughs> oh, <what a> <laughs> oh, gosh. That was, uh, that was 98 of the day there. <laughs> Popping up. <laughs> Doctor gave, gives him the all clear. He says he's never experienced this before meeting Vicky and puts it down to her being a goddess. Fair play, I would say. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's not unattractive. Is Hell she? no, no. She's, I said she's a cougar. Yeah, exactly. So, um, She only needs to look at me and speak to me and I get hungry for it, he said. Maybe she... Um, Where's he from, do you think? Like Manchester? Maybe? I was thinking Manchester, yeah. 
She only needs to look at me and speak to me and I get hungry for it. He said. If that pheromone and testosterone just link together correctly, I can easily come to bed and look at Vicky and have an erection. I fall asleep with one, I wake up with one. Well, that's two. <laughs> yeah, that's two, yeah. She's yeah. basically a forbidden fruit, and for that reason, I just want to eat it. Why is she forbidden? Is she married? Well. Why, why is she, she a forbidden fruit? She's basically, if, I told you there's some weird quotes. It gets weird when she starts talking. Yeah, she's basically, that's what it's saying. She's basically a forbidden fruit, and for that reason, I just want to eat it. So is she, like, withholding um, intercourse, and as a result, he's constantly aroused at the prospect of finally getting to uh, make love Right, she's, she's turned him into a simp. Yes, I believe that is the term, yes. A Vicky simp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're my bitch now, man. Exactly, yeah. Could be. Yeah, maybe it's like, it's like a Sting and Trudy style of thing. He gets 100 erections a day and never gets shot. And then maybe once every month, every six, eight weeks, she says, come on, slave. Okay, I'm going to milk you now. Ew. <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I'm projecting. I'm projecting. <laughs> oh, where's Vicky from? That's vaguely specific. Vicky said she has always believed in good intercourse with this woman and wife to be. I can't. I've got to read this straight because it's so weird. Vicky said he has quotes always believed in good intercourse with his woman and wife to be. Right. And that she agrees it brings their relationship closer. So they're engaged. Okay. Um, good intercourse with his woman. She's saying in regards to herself. That's bizarre. I do believe that too. He just wants me all the time, she said. And she says, it's starting to get in the way of her chores and appointments. Okay. They both live separately for now in Stoke-on-Trent. So she at least has a respite every now and again. So they're not sharing the same house. Through the whole... <coughs> in quotes. Through the whole relationship, he's always had an erection. In shops, restaurants, the gym. There's no rest from it at, at all. And I just wondered if any other couples are the same. So a bit of, bit of bragging here, I think. I mean, I, I don't think it's really normal to have an erection in public all the time. I think that, you know, back in the day, that was called a flasher. <laughs> You're like this. She said, in quotes, we actually met in my favourite childhood supermarket, Morrison's. Oh, yeah. What's your favourite childhood supermarket? Morrison's. <laughs> favourite childhood supermarket wasn't your favourite childhood supermarket Morrison's underneath it was fucking horrible the lighting was like underneath the station under the bus station yeah no never used to go to town did you know no (laughs) did you do your do your shopping weekly shopping in the spa (laughs) no we used to go to Asda Asda's in in town or the the one no the near one in the retail on the outskirts yeah Oh, we used to go to Morrison's. We went to Morrison's a lot. Yeah. I hated shopping, though. 
Yeah. I hated having to go shopping with mum. I used to get dragged out when, uh, is it called Happy Monday? What was it called? Happy Mondays. Was it called? No. What was it called? Shame about the bass player, wasn't it? What? Well, you know, died three days after the old Magic Juice booster. No, I don't, I don't Paul know. Paul Ryder. No. Yeah, Happy Mondays bass player. Died last no. week while you were on holiday. Oh, right, okay. Um, sorry to hear that. Uh, what show was the Fonz in? Happy days. Happy days, not happy Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to get dragged out after happy days. Right. And I used to get the minibus into town. So that's like a double whammy. They made you watch happy days and then go shopping. I used to love happy days. Oh, Jesus Christ. It was happy days on Channel How 4. How are we even friends? <laughs> because I made you cool by watching, <laughs> getting you into happy days and the funds. When was that on? 6 p.m. on a Sunday? I think it was on during the week, you know. Maybe yeah. a Friday. No, it was on a Friday. You should have been watching uh, Star Trek TNG. That's what you should have been watching. That was, this was before that was... That was am I right or am I right? I think that only... When did that start? 90? Yeah, so it might have been prior to that, slightly. Wow. Been yeah. dragged out. Forget how old you are. Exactly, yeah. All right, so childhood supermarket. I was actually in my uniform with wet hair and a mask on. And as we were queuing up, he walked around the corner with a massive piece of fillet steak. Ooh, eh. In his basket. And said, wow, aren't you, wow, aren't you beautiful? <laughs> we got to speaking and I turned down three coffee dates at the start. Okay. It's going to be it's more of the same. It's like, you're my bitch. Turned down three coffee dates at the start because I was so happy being on my own. We would never have met unless we bumped into each other in Morrison's. In bed, it's the same. <laughs> he can go to sleep with an erection and wake up with one. Even though he does night shifts, there's no changing it at all. It's every single place we are. We can be having a perfectly normal, everyday conversation like, shall we go and climb that mountain next week? Delphi. That is not a normal conversation. No. We can be having a, a perfectly normal, everyday conversation like, shall we go and climb this mountain next week? I don't think I've said that to my missus in 20 years. No. It's weird. It's a weird choice of words. And he gets an erection. I can come down the stairs and walk past... <laughs> I can come down the stairs and walk past the glass door and be in the next room and it still happens. The glass door. Well, sometimes, some houses have glass doors, don't they? That used to be, that was mainly in, you know, the 70s where they had the sliding doors that partitioned <coughs> the front room and the back room. Do you not remember? Yeah. All right. I'll let you have that. Bit weird to still have one, right? Uh, Lucas, who works in management, said, it just seems to be natural. I've got a wonderful woman next to me. She's a goddess. Goddess. Mm. After a year when most couples would die down, months and years go by and we get hungrier for each other. Yeah. Interesting story. There's something below the surface there, I think. Yeah, I think either they're, they're lying about the amount of erections. Yeah, it's more. It's more, really. It's more. It's a thousand. <laughs> I have to say, it's hard right now. <laughs> Literally, it never ends. No, I mean, you know, come on. Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A hundred erections. 
All right. Should we do some uh, some clips? Or should we do some housekeeping? Let's do some clips. We need to uh, we need to get a fucking move on, man. Yeah, hurry up. Uh, what have I done? What have I done? Oh dear. Yeah, they are fucking weirdos. Wow. It's just straight in there. Yeah, say what you think, Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mince your uh, your words. Yeah. Tell the truth, like Boris Johnson. The Prime Minister tells the truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, should we do some UK politics? Yeah, let's just want to give it a wait into that quagmire. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, this guy, the last. Uh, so, Bojo the Clown, our dear leader, is leaving office imminently, and the race is on to be his successor, the leader of the Conservative Party, and thus the Prime Minister for the next two years before the next general election. Yes. It's been whittled down to two. My dark horse, Penny Mordaunt, finished third. She's out the running. And it's Rishi Shunak and Liz Truss. Oh, God, yeah. Chancellor, Foreign Secretary. Yeah, the psychopathic greengrocer, yeah. Liz Truss. And uh, it was the last televised debate. There have been televised debates happening the last couple of weeks. Did something bad not happen? I thought it was the one before when the, uh, the presenter killed over on stage because she was tired. She um, drank from the wrong glass. Yeah. You chose poorly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Jesus was a carpenter. He was simple. Simple jealous. He would have a simple guilt. Jealous. <laughs> mm. well, you, man, your pass. you chose wisely. Yeah. Ah. Okay, let's start with uh, Liz Truss. Oh, Kay Burley is the host. Kay Bulldog Burley. Mm. She's back on TV because she got suspended, didn't she, for breaking lockdown rules? <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, while she was trying to hold the powers uh, that shouldn't be to account as a journalist, uh, she was breaking the same rules. But she's back on our screen now, and we love Kay Burley. Mm-hmm. She's a savage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she starts with a, a bit of a, a softball cr- question to Liz Trust. Uh, what's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? <laughs> Did she run through a field of barley like her predecessor? Uh, mayhem. Oh, um, I might have run through a, a field of barley. Well, she's too clever for, the, for making a fool of herself. She evades the question like a pro. I'm certainly, I'm certainly not going to say that on TV. Oh, was it that naughty? Well, my daughters are watching, so I don't want them, I don't want them getting any ideas. Okay? Yeah. Maybe her partner has a hundred erections a day. Well, it's. I want to know now. It's just hit me. Does she have sons and a daughter? Mm. I don't know. That answer just gave me sexual thoughts. Yeah. I thought that she must be alluding to something sexual. Yeah. Sexual naughtiness. Exactly. Good. Rather than criminal naughtiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're not mutually exclusive, by the way. No, exactly. Okay, um, so that was the foreplay over with Kay and Liz. And. Um, the next quick clip I have is a question where she does a rundown of all these sort of examples where she's flip-flopped over the years on issues of mm-hmm. policy or whatever. You were a Remainer, and now you're not. You supported uh, Brits to fight in Ukraine, then you didn't. You wanted to build on the Green Belt, and now you don't. You wanted to abolish the monarchy, and now you don't. You wanted to arm Taiwan, and now I'm not sure if you're saying whether you do or not. You wanted civil servants... We, we do provide them okay. with those You wanted to cut civil servants' pay in the regions, and then you said you didn't. 
Will the real Liz Truss please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Yeah. I mean, they all do it, though, don't they? So it's whatever, you know... Well, let's see what she says. A lot of these are from decades ago. Mm. But she's an ex-Lib Dem. Leb Deb. Leb Deb. (laughs) Okay, I'm somebody who, you know, I didn't come from a traditional conservative background. My first political experience was going on a CND march with my mother, age seven. You know, I then, uh, as a teenager, joined the Liberal Democrats. I'm not sure how much I should be held to account for things I said when I was 18 or 19. But I've always had a belief that we can be a more successful country, that people should be able to control their own lives. I've always believed in the principle of freedom. I've always believed in low taxation. Yes, my views on other issues have developed over time. But show me somebody who has the same views at 19 and 49, and I'll show you somebody who's not capable of original thought. Well, when she said that, she started that phrase, show me someone at the age of... I thought she was going to do the old... um, Show me... What's it? Show me uh, an old liberal. Show me a young conservative, and I'll show you a man with no heart. Mm -hmm. Show me an old liberal, and I'll show you a man with no brain. (laughs) Person. Yeah, we kind of... This is massive generalisation, but we all try and tend to start off liberal... And then get more conservative as we get older. Mm. So it seems to be a, a common trope, that. Not everyone, mm. but in the main. Yeah. Weird. Don't know why. Well, I'm not a social psychologist, so... This is my favourite Liz, che- <laughs> Liz Cheese moment, Liz Trust moment. And when she was... Uh, she went to like... It's a... Di- <laughs> that one. It's a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> We are growing wheat more competitively than the Canadian prairies. We're producing more varieties of cheese than the French. (laughs) And we are selling tea to China. (laughs) Yorkshire tea. When it comes to British food and drink, we have never had it so good. At the moment, we import two-thirds of all of our apples. We import nine-tenths of all of our pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. <laughs> so bad, isn't it? Uh, that's Tory party conference. I'm guessing that's probably the best part of 10 years ago. That, that, you you think? Know. I bet it's not far off. Yeah, but that always comes back to haunt her when she was a, a younger minister. She had the agriculture one, wasn't she? It's not like... Yeah. Um, she's still in the uh, cabinet, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, let's let's move on to Dishy Rishi Sunak, hmm. the uh, the second uh, contender, and uh, I thought he got a rougher time, but he is a bigger target. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of got more uh, 
more targets on his bat. Let's start with the first question, which was on the subjects of class. Mm. Uh, in a video, here it comes, from 2001, <laughs> you said you didn't have any working-class friends. Have you made any working-class friends since you left university? Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I think I was a student when I said that. We all say silly things when, when we're younger. Yeah, it was this. I have friends who are aristocrats, I have friends who are upper class, I have friends who are, you know, working class, but I'm not working class, but... I mean, at the same time, I was, as, as you know, I was working in my mum's shop. I was out and about cycling around, running around, delivering medicines to people, or people from all walks of life. But, you know, obviously I was a kid and I said something silly. So you do have working class friends now? Yeah, I mean, I don't go around asking them what they're, 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 they're how they define themselves. Bullshit. <laughs> I mean... I, I, I'd rather think we kind of move. I think we move beyond that as a country. Actually, I think, reassuring. Yeah, yeah. I think people um, are less interested in where you've come from. People are interested in where you're going. That's the kind of country I want to build. Right? Where? Thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good recovery. Yeah. Good recovery. Turn it round to a, an applause break. Uh, you don't have any working class friends. No, not when you're married to a billionaire. Yeah. Well, maybe we should move on to his uh, his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, their, their tax affairs was uh, next on the shopping block. Another simple question. Have you ever benefited financially from the use of tax havens? No. Bullshit! <laughs> that is such a lie. I mean, the old... I would benefit from a tax haven if I had the means or know-how. <laughs> well, it says no, and just listen for the caveat. A venture capital firm you co-founded, Tellman Partners, was registered in the Cayman Islands. Oops. Um, so just to clarify, I, I personally did you have absolutely never ever benefited and have paid absolutely full normal taxes wherever I've lived. Did you set up that? I personally, yeah, is the key word. Mm-hmm. He personally pays all his class one, his class two national insurance and his uh, income tax as he is uh, supposed to personally. Yeah, his companies because he's a limited company, like all the footballers are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They benefit from having mm. accounts in the Cayman Islands, but not him personally. He personally pays every penny that he's supposed to pay because yeah. it's a rigged fucking game. Yeah. Only mugs, <laughs> only mugs like us pay tax. All right, okay. Uh, if you're rich, and I mean like Crassus rich, like mm. rich enough to afford your own army, then you pay no taxes. Taxes off for the plebs. In fact, if you're Jeff Bezos, we pay them. Yeah, we give a tax credit. Yeah, yeah. I paid more tax than Facebook one year. I saw it. Mm. And, uh, you know, says it all, so it's all bullshit. Business? No. Okay, so you you weren't a co-founder in 2009? Uh, n- not of the, the bit in the Cayman Islands that you're referring to. I have nothing to do with. No, the shell company is that. It's a shell company. I have nothing to do with it, personally. No. It's, it's a business that owns another business. Mm. It's full of shit. Wanker. OK. I mean, I happen to work with a company that has multiple offices all around the, all around the world, but that's not my responsibility. It was not running the company. So you weren't in up. any way paid by that offshore company? No Absolutely connections not. with no. it? When I was living in America... I'd no, the offshore company paid another company, mm. and then another company, and that paid him. Mm. Paid all my Still taxes in America, and when I've lived in the UK, I've paid all my taxes in the UK. Yeah. All your taxes being probably close to zero. Mm. Uh, yeah, so there we go. That's uh, what was the next uh, area? Oh, speaking of his wife, citizenship was next on the agenda because of his green card. Yeah, and the wife with the non dom. Mm. What's that stand for? Non domiciliary? I guess so. For tax purposes, mm. so you don't live in this country. There's a rule 
where if you work something like 20 week 20% of the year here or more you have to be tax resident here for tax purposes or something there's a cut off mm. so I remember I know lots of people who've worked in Dubai and mm. and uh, Bag- uh, Iraq and Baghdad I was going to say yeah Baghdad or Iraq uh, Saudi Arabia they have to come home so many weeks of the year right otherwise they pay UK tax mm-hmm. whereas over you know they pay nothing basically mm. Mm-hmm. So you have to come home for so many weeks of the year. I think I think that's the idea. Uh, right, Sunak, green card. Yeah, the reason I'm asking is that, as you know, as all our audience know, you've had to clarify your wife's non-dom status. You held permanent residency in the United States while you were setting the taxes of British voters, which is what a green card means. Um, you're um, building a swimming pool at your constituency home while the public pool in Richmond is facing closure. That's, that's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, <coughs> the yin and the yang. Yeah, maybe don't pick this time to put a pool in when the public pool in your constituency is being shut. Mm. Or at least keep it on the DL. How did they find out? Is it because it's a massive one outside? Yeah, obviously it must be, rather than a covered pill that no one would know about. Yeah, or a mega basement. Yeah. Mm. After a 400% energy hike. (laughs) This has all led to a perception problem for you. People feel that you can't walk a mile in their shoes because you're walking in your Prada shoes. What would you say to them? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... That's fucking hilarious. (laughs) It's hilarious, isn't it? We have to make a joke of this thing because it's so absurd. You know, over the past couple of weeks, right, I've been out and about across the country talking, talking to members, talking to members of the public, and as I was saying, lots of people have come to talk to me about that press conference and furlough and what difference it made to their lives. Do you know, I, I was wearing the same suit in that press conference. So, give me the eye. No, it's just sort of, sort of what he was saying about people thanking him for the furlough. Yeah. Or those new vans. <laughs> People coming to me in the street. In the Boris van. Thanks, thanks for the furlough, mate. Thanks for the free 10 grand grant. Yeah, that we have to pay back. Mm. Grants, you don't. Well, bounce back loans you have to pay back. No, no, no. No, no, no. We're all going to have to pay it all oh, back. That was the collective we. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. The same shoes as that I'm wearing now, right? I'm the how same much, person. How much are they worth? Yeah, I, I'm, they're I'm very exactly, slick. I'm exactly the same person, right? I'm the same person that stood there and made sure that we helped the country through a very difficult time, and that's what I'll do as prime minister. And I think the British people judge people by their character and by their actions, not by their bank account. He's obviously been told, hasn't he? Well, you know what you did during the pandemic—that still polls. People agree with what you did there. So yeah. get that in, get that in. Yeah, just don't say anything about all that money you printed <laughs> causing the inflation that's going to last for the next two years. Yeah. That's what inflation is, you know. Mm. It's just increase of money supply. Yeah. They could stop it. Mm. Stop printing money. Stop! Stop, you nutters! It's like the Bank of England sent, sets a target of inflation at 1.2%. Mm. Is it? Or is it 2%? I think it's between 1% and 2% or something like that. They set the target for that. Mm. When everyone knows that inflation is just a way of uh, robbing people's savings. Mm. It's just devaluing your savings and your pensions. Mm. Why, why not set the target at zero? 
and stop yeah. printing money. Mm. I don't know. I think it's this perpetual growth economic mm. system that room. Maybe. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I preferred Rashid when he was a cult fiend. I collect Coca-Cola things. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, I'm a coke oh, addict. Oh, I'm a total coke that's... addict. Does it never get old, that for you? Love it. I mean, it got old for me on, like, the fifth time you made me watch it. <laughs> to me, it's just like Applehood and Mother Pie to me. <laughs> Applehood and Mother Pie. <laughs> All right, let's let's move from the UK to the US politics, or rather, uh, more accurately, Taiwanese politics. Oh yeah, because of the uh, military games. Well, yeah, they sent old sugar tits over, didn't they, Pelosi, <laughs> to go and stir shit in the Far East? Have you seen this photo of her getting papped on the beach in Taiwan? <laughs> she is. Oh my god! Why? Why? If yeah. you've got it, flaunt it. <laughs> oh, Carol, I don't care. She's 82. Smash that shit. Is she 82? Yep. Wow. Smash the foot and knock her false teeth out in no time. Is she like... Fuck's sake. Is she like... What is she? The, the What does she do? Speaker. Speaker of the house. Yeah, man. Why, do, why don't these people just retire? They're making too much money. I know. The insider... <laughs> there's something that pops up on... TikTok sometimes about a man who follows what senators or uh, governors are investing in. Yeah, her husband. Start with her husband. Right. He's always first to know. Right. The inside trading. Did you see he got off with that DUI last week, the week before? No. He got done with drunk driving, twice over the limit, and uh, narcotics as well. Right. Yeah, but he's Paul Pelosi, so. Right, he's off. How old is he? Is he like 90 then? <laughs> She's 82. Yeah, still fine to drink home, drink, to, to drink, drive home, smash. <laughs> and high. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Get a fucking yeah, no, no. roller. Get a chauffeur, what, man. Chauffeur, chauffeur why, for the roller. Why would you drive? Maybe it's because it's that fucking old, you see. <laughs> it's like my grand... I don't know how my grand, my granddad would he have been in his... Oh, he'd have been in his 90s now. The same age, you know. They're, they're the drunk drive every weekend. They did, didn't they, in the 60s? That's 50s very, and yeah. 60s? Yeah, yeah. They drunk drive everywhere. And that's probably because... That's it. That's Paul Pelosi just drinks drives because, well, that's what I've always done. Mm. I'm fucking 100 years old. <laughs> See me. <laughs> I got a report from DW, Deutsche Welle, over Taiwan. Yes. Love it. China says it's sanctioning US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her family after she visited Taiwan. <laughs> so what? as if they have any money in China. Pelosi and her husband. Anyway, they're getting sanctioned. Beijing considers the self-governing island part of its territory and called her trip a provocation. The military exercises have prompted some ships to navigate around the Taiwan Strait, disrupting key trading routes for cargo and commodities sailing around the world. It's proof of the economic fallout any escalation in the region would have globally. Trade between China and Taiwan has also seen interruptions. Oh, this is the chips, the chip shortage, you see. Mm. If, uh, if this gets into China have blockaded the fucking island, man. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Because they sent this fucking dipshit over there. <laughs> fucking saggy sugar tits. 
And this is the result. We're going to have a chip shortage. That's going to be good for inflation. I thought we already had a chip shortage. Yeah, just compounding. It's, it's almost as if they're trying to con- like do some sort of controlled demolition on Western civilization. Yeah. Like some sort of great research. <laughs> It's wild. It's like you're doing the opposite thing of what you should be doing. If you gave a shit mm. about anything. Let's take a look at some of the fallout from Nancy Pelosi's oh. visit. In a warning, this is it. The fallout. Warning shot: China has banned imports of over two thousand different products from Taiwan, mainly food products, both processed and fresh. Beijing has stopped exporting sand to the island, a product necessary for Taiwan's construction industry. China's also created a blockade of types of Taiwan as it patrols the sea surrounding it, which could prevent all imports and exports, paralyzing Taiwan's economy and crippling the trade in semiconductors needed in everything from smartphones to healthcare equipment and defense systems. That's one reason this story has traders gripped around the globe. Paralyze the trade in semiconductors. Nice one. So we're going to be paying for that in, you know, give it eight months, maybe eight, 12 months. Mm. And the price of your fucking white goods goes up. Yeah. Because that dingbat went over there stirring shit. How are we going to build all of our smart bombs now? They're going to be dumb bombs, aren't they? I think. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could build them. Maybe we need to go to the Azores and find out how they built their smart bombs. Mm, with like a big triangle or something. Boom. Yeah. Housekeeping. Triangles. Housekeeping. This is the Value for Value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing that, and my favourite way, as ever, of ditching your eavesdropping ways and becoming a producer of the Army Acquisition is word of mouth. Tell people, send people links, get the word out. Get us more subscribers on on uh, Spotify. Give us a rating on Spotify. Send people YouTube links. Get people to subscribe on the YouTube. Mm. All helps. Yeah, join the Discord. That's the way that... I like it through the Discord. Um, you know, leave us a review. Have we said that? No. Nope. No. Uh, nope. Send us timestamped videos. Yeah, Discord's the best place for that. So at least I just have one place to look mm. on the on the weekend when I'm doing the pre-production. If we can just go to Discord and scan it there, loads through this week. Loads of new stories. Loads from Helen. Yeah. It's particularly active, sent loads, yeah. and we just have to pick. It gives us a choice then to yeah. pick what we want to do, and it's time as well because I think we run over with Matt, so it's like how much we can get through. Exactly, yeah. Because we're only here for two, two and a half hours a week. Mm. I mean, I did. I mean, I could do like a news one, a three-hour news one every week. Yeah, comfortably. Uh, but you know, we've got jobs, <laughs> jobs and kids and shit. So. Yeah. Um, so we appreciate uh, things being sent on Discord, mm. video clips, news clips. Yeah. Climate change news, focus chi requests. Maybe yeah. you're suffering from a health condition in the form of depleted chi. You need some chi focusing your way, like I was last week. Mm. Look, recovered now. Just a little bit of a sniffle every now and then. And then. Yeah. Oh, Robbie. Well, that reminds me, I was on Out of the Blank this week. Again. <laughs> 
again. And uh, it's not out yet. It's coming out in a few days. Okay. Robbie's there in the chat. Mm. We talked to all that. Um, Robbie was telling me about JFK. Okay. It's fascinating. The information. The man with the hole in his head. The okay. dead guy. Okay. The guy got bumped off. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of weirdness about that. Robbie's going to be making a film about it. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. It's going to be a while off. Could be a year off yet. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, check that. Well, I'll let you know when that comes out. It'll be in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have we got? What else can you do on Discord? We'll focus Chi. Have you said show artwork? Oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can. There's a thread in the Discord for show artwork. Or you can email it us at thearmistinquisition at gmail.com. No submissions this week. So I had to do one. And I have to say, I think it's pretty nice. Here it is. Incoming. Think of that. Um, I mean, it's good. Good. Still sound convinced. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, at least now we're using a natural palette with um, the face rather than going for like a blue, shades of blue palette that makes people look terrifying. You like how I've cartoonified him? Yeah. Right. I've got all the information there. I've got that old map on the left of Atlantis and then that some artist rendition of the Stadia, mm-hmm. the canals there. Mm-hmm. That's what it says. Oh, well, see, Big Conspire likes it, so there you are. I mean, that's all that matters, isn't it? I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, we've done on the artwork. Yeah, by, uh, by merch. Oh, God, yeah. Get yourself to the Army Salute Chest. Buy lots of... Um, Weird things like bacon nuts, glasses, or T-shirts, or literally a communist hoodies. Yeah, links in the show notes for them. Yeah. It's a good way to support us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, what's the best way to become a producer? Tosses in a fucking coin. The coin to Absolutely. Do it for the lads. The lads. 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 Because oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. In the heat of gold, my darling queens. Yeah, send some gold, man. Link in the show notes for that. Or go to thearmistinquisition.com and you find the PayPal button there. Give us a one-off donation. Sign up for a monthly recurring star de- do- donation. Donation. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I've, I've, I've uh, changed tactics tonight in what I do in the interim between part one and part two. Uh how have you done? Oh, uh, probably smoke something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it might be a bit loosey goosey. <laughs> Do you know what? I was really giddy when Matt was here. I was really giddy, and I felt I needed to calm down. Right. Okay. So, uh, or you can. Uh, we're on Patreon now and buy us a coffee. If you if you don't trust our website mm-hmm. <laughs> and the PayPal link, you can just go through those mediums, and it, it works out just the same for us, really. Yeah. Chuck us a fiver here or there, it all helps. Uh, pay for the bills and the hosting and Zoom and all the rest of it. Um, is that it? I think so. Have we done all the housekeeping? Do you yeah. just have to thank them? Yeah. I don't have my, uh, my notes up because my computer broke. Right, okay. Let's thank the producers. It's time to big up the man Dems at Yo. For episode 242, we have Matthew Chin. Helen, Nick, and Sakam. Thank you. They are. Yeah. 
so amazing in their love. I, I think this might be a first, you know, that we've had a, a guest become a financial producer in the same week. Oh, did he donate? Yeah. Literally. The best mate. It's literally the best mate. Maybe he's like an avid consumer of the Inquisition. Maybe he's literally a communist. Maybe. I'm literally a communist. Well, thanks. You're so amazing. The dwarf. The currants. The grape. The homophobe. The winds. The asthma. The crumpup. Chunks. The number 11. The blind man. The fallen on the horizon. The cripple and the mother of the... bickering! From hell. Bring it on. I don't get it. Never will. Thanks for your support for another week. It is appreciated. Um, it's 10 to 11. We're going to have to cut some shit out, man. Yeah, man. I really wanted to do Henry Gray, the guy with uh, lexical gustatory synesthesia. Right. Maybe we'll have to throw it off till next week. Yeah. Have you heard the story? Is this, can he taste words? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I've got clips and stuff, but and I think I've decoded some of his taste profiles of words. Okay. But it's, it, we need to... Uh, I think we should wrap up, wrap up soon. Very soon. I want to say that I watched a movie last night. Was it, was it Hard Target again? <laughs> no, it's Street Fighter. <laughs> Which one? There's been a remake. Hasn't there been a remake of that recently? Which one? Yeah, I know which one you would have been watching. Troopers! <laughs> we, we just received new orders. Our superiors say the war is cancelled. We can all go home. Bison is getting paid out for his crimes. And our friends who have died here have died here for nothing. But we can all go home. Meanwhile, ideals like peace, freedom and injustice, well, they all get packed up. But we can all go home. I cannot believe you know that monologue. Well, I'm not going home. I'm going to get in my boat. <laughs> I'm going up a river. And I'm going to kick that son of a bitch bison's ass so hard that the next bison wannabe is going to fill it. So, who wants to go home? And who is with me? <laughs> Truly awful. Well, it's been a great show, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Van Damme is best. It is. <clears throat> He's uh, one of the hardest working actors in Hollywood. Yeah. JCV. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, the film. I saw a film last night. <laughs> yeah. You, you, divulged me, you uh, diverted me. Okay. I've seen Prey. Prey? Prey. The Predator film. The new Predator film. Oh, I don't know. You know I heard about it? No. So there's a new Predator, Predator film out. Low budget, direct streaming. Right. So Disney picked it up. All right. Uh, it's set around, I think, about 1717. Oh. On the planes. I think I did. Um... Oh, and the planes. Oh, right, okay. The Great Plains. It's Comanche. 
Oh, right, okay. Comanche Terror Show. Oh, yes. Yes. I did see a trailer for this. What are you saying? Is it a, tra- is it a travesty? <laughs> I'm saying four stars. Whoa. I'm saying it's good. Is there no shoehorned in uh, sexuality stuff? Um, is, it fe- is it a female lead? Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, what, yeah, okay. Th- th- there, there is hints of it, but it's not egregious. It's like... <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's believable. Uh, okay. mo- pretty much. Okay. It's not overt, like most of... The problem is, right, we've been watching 10, 15 years of dog shit, right? <laughs> so our bar is low. So when a film that is, is just, just good, like <laughs> Top Gun Maverick... Or this comes out, yeah. it's like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've seen in fucking 20 years, because it probably is. Right. Um, so I don't know how much my low expectations are amplifying my perception of the artistic content. It's oeuvre, if you like. But I, I think it's good. I think it's really good. And it's well worth watching. It's a tight one hour 40. Good. Um, Comanches are not to be messed with. No. They have very sharp stones. Ooh, is it stone? Well, they did no metal. Yeah. No, no metal in them days in uh, Guns, Germs and Steel, man. Didn't have the guns, the germs, or the steel. <laughs> they had none of them. No, they just so, led, they led an idyllic lifestyle. It's pretty well paced. Um, there's a bit of wonky CGI on it, in it, mm. but it's really low budget. The Predator's good. Story's good. She has an arc. You know, she's not fucking Mary Sue. She has problems. She has things to overcome. She improves throughout the film. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a shame she dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. <laughs> Joke. But watch it. It's good. Okay. <coughs> Whose idea was it to watch that? Mine. I saw it flash up. She was on... I don't... I, I asked her. I think she said it was on Disney. Mm. I don't know how to work the thing, the stick. It's mm. like everything seems to be in one, like whether it's Netflix or Disney. Or, it all comes up in the, you know, watch this. And I, I just saw oh, it. Oh, yeah, like it'll give you a suggestion, won't it, now? Yeah. I don't know. I just saw it and I, saw, I, I, I clocked. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, oh, shit, this might be a bit wankless. Yeah, I was thinking that from the trailer, to be honest with you. And uh, no, it's it's worth it. Mm. It's getting a rough time from uh, Critical Drinker said it was meh. Oh, okay. I disagree. I, th- I think he's wrong on this one. I think he's being too harsh. Okay. But that might be my low expectations playing him. Mm. Um, anyway, shall we move on? Do you want to uh, aim for the prostate? Yeah, please. Might have to... Uh, Open your legs wider. Open your legs wider first. I'm going to aim for the prostate in the men. Grab his dick and twist it! Oh. And aim for the prostate in the men. Mm. Um, okay. Have you heard of CPAC? No. There's a terrible two-pack joke there, but I'm not going to say it. Conservative Political Action Conference. It's a big uh, conservative conference that happens periodically in the States. Oh, right, okay. CPAC 22. Um, it was a few days ago, a couple of days ago. Trump was there speaking. Ovs. Oh, uh, I have. I think I have heard of it now, yes. Yeah, it's a bit like sort of the DNC, the Democratic National yeah. Convention, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, our buddy Nigel was there. Big Nigel Farage. Oh, but the Farage. Yeah, I've uh, I've just got 
a clip that I thought was interesting. If I can find it. When conservative parties stop being conservative, guess what happens? They lose. They lose elections. And that, I think, is where the opportunity is here in America. Because be clear about one thing. To save Western civilization, this is the battleground. Because if America falls, we all fall. But I know, I know I'm talking to perhaps the most important group of people that have ever assembled in one room. I mean, that's just wanking off the crowd, that, isn't it? Just like buttering them up. Absolutely. Let them know there's a crisis. Crisis in Plotland. You know, you're the heroes, you can save. Save Plotland. Mm. And it's down to you, but you're so important. The most important people ever to have lived in this room. Like our producers. Yeah. Because you are the foot soldiers. You are the foot soldiers in this battle on behalf not just of America but on behalf of the whole of the free world to save everything our forebears built. Save Plotland. I thought he was going to say save Plotland because I've heard it so many times. Yeah. Let me down. Designed and defended against the world. The responsibility is yours. Are you ready for that responsibility? Yeah! Are you going to go out and fight and win? I am not gay. (laughs) Good, because we can do it. We can do it. Right. Sounds good. Yeah. Party central. Party central, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I think he might have bumped his head. Was, uh, the next time he spoke was a bit confusing. Oh, Willie G. Da, da, da. Chungus never seems so sus. So sus. So sus. He vents to electrical. <laughs> Still on there. Still on cameos. Oh. God. You can do corporates. He does corporates. I think it was two grand, maybe, for a video. Wow. He'll do a 10-minute Zoom chat. Really? How much? Uh, I can't remember. It was hundreds, mm. 300 quid or something. You want to have a look at who's on there. It's wild. I know. It's crazy. I've, I've looked at it ages ago, that cameo. was all kinds of people. He was a, a what do you call it? A tre- uh, not a trendsetter, a... Uh, he was one of the first, wasn't he, on Cameo? I don't know, was he? It seems to be, yeah. Right. He's the first who seemed to go viral on it. Um, well, yeah, so loads of people on it. This was a story 18 <laughs> months ago, Phil. You can get most of Steps on there. Yeah. H is there, Lisa's on there. I think so. I think most... Tragedy! C-lists or celebs are on there, aren't they? Some big names on there. Yeah. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. She's on there. Shaka Khan. Yeah. Um, he's even giving away holidays on there. Well, being whisked away for the holiday of a lifetime. Yes, you're going up to the Isle of Cox. How about that? <laughs> what the Farage? Isle of Cox. Oh. Well, being whisked away for the holiday of a lifetime. Yes, you're going up to the Isle of Cox. <laughs> Willie G. <laughs> Chungus never seems so sus. So sus. So sus. Enough now. He vents. Let me go home. He vents to electrical. 
events to electrical all the time. That's the giveaway for uh, for old Jungus, you know. Mm. Constantly vent into electrical. Vegan sausage roll. With his vegan sausage roll. Okay. I'd just like to say I'm being held against my will now. <laughs> what? Have you not enjoyed it? Been all right. You not enjoyed tonight? Until the last few minutes. You've not been entertained? Are you not entertained? Yeah. Are you not entertained? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just want to know if my uh, jazzy's going to start. Wow, what's weird? I love you. Batteries, it was, it was a little bit flaky on the way here. Oh, gosh. So. Love you too, Danny. Yeah. I love you. There it is. I love Lamp. I love Lamp. I thought that was an epic dub. Epic dub. Mm. And, uh, well, best of luck with the jazz. Mm. You're be pushing me down the hill. Okay. Thanks for watching. Mm. Thank you for watching. I'm sure it'll be good next week. Can't remember who's coming. No, but it will be. Join the Discord. You get a sneak peek tomorrow. You find out who's coming on next week, and then you can submit your questions on the Discord. See you, Lee. Yeah. Have a good week, and always never forget. I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Always aim for the prostate. Okay. Banal sex and all the healing him. Okay. Try. Me. My name is Evan. Oh, Oh, Bickering. Oh, Who the fuck's that? Yeah, me. Calm down. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. COVID. I'm literally a communist. Because I'm literally a... Chest feeding. Communist.